So I went down a really serious rabbit hole the other day where I was just on YouTube looking up every, like, clip or scene from the Star Wars Rebels show. Um, and, I mean, primarily it was, I was originally starting to do a blog post for the website and I was using screenshots from the Rebels show for, to, to, to help make my point. And then I started talking, like, I saw a really cool Darth Maul screenshot, and I saw a really cool screenshot of this, and I was just like, oh, what what was this scene about? And then I watched, like, 20 videos later, um, and what was I on again? Oh, right, and then I got sidetracked from Star Wars Rebels to theories about Emperor Palpatine and how convoluted his plan was and how it didn't make any sense. When you break down all of Star Wars, none of it makes sense. Well, it was funny, because I ended up watching a video that talked about, like, just really terrible evil plans in movies in general and star wars was on there three times yeah well because it's world building on top of world building underneath world building so you're trying to retroactively write a story about a guy that like is introduced later that you now have to make everything fucking that's star wars's problem just don't tie everything together so early because now Darth Maul has a pretty elaborate story going from the Phantom Menace up into his death. Now, every single time you throw him in into something else, everything that was written about him previous to that didn't include the character. So like the like the, with Rogue One, we never saw those characters outside of Rogue One because they didn't exist. They weren't written. So they have to keep going back and retconning stupid shit for it to work and to fit and to fit into this world. It doesn't work after a certain point. They, I think they fully explored the original trilogy to the point where they can't cram anymore, even after the retcon of um, the expanded universe. Yeah, and I mean, I think Darth Maul got a really great character like arc. He did. Out of coming back. Like, he went from being like, oh, hey, this evil devil man looking, you know, Sith who's going to fight Obi-Wan to actually having a really good story arc and being really sympathetic. Yeah, he um, he was treated with a lot of respect and he becomes a crowd favorite through the course of not only just um, Rebels, but Clone Wars, too. Right, which is great because he was always a crowd favorite before before just because he was a a primary piece of arguably the best lightsaber fight in all of star wars yeah um but now he's also crowd favorite because he had a really great character arc through you know both animated shows Mm -hmm. um better than a lot of you know a lot of other characters although i mean ahsoka as well she no Um, she had give her her respect it's 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 uh it's needed she went from like whiny, like who's this little brat, to like the the fight between her and Vader was so emotional. Like holy shit, like this is awesome. That's true, and that's probably just my limited um, kind of exposure to the Clone Wars show. Because mm-hmm. I think I only saw like the first couple seasons of it, um, and then I saw Ahsoka's kind of small, smaller role in Rebels. Um. So I, I guess I didn't I didn't know the character that well. Yeah, she evolved quite um, a bit. Yeah, I still definitely got the whole Ahsoka Vader or Anakin fight, mm. um, but I didn't care about her character as much. She gets really fucked over at the very end of um, at the end of um, 
the Clone Wars when it was canceled the first time. Oh, when it went from like actual like cell shaded cartoon to three D animated. No, it was that. No, the the new Clone Wars when it was canceled the first time. Oh, I didn't realize the new one, the the th- CG one, was ever canceled. Yeah, when Disney bought out um, Lucasfilm, they canceled Clone Wars, and then like a year later, they're like, "Well, we had some episodes in production, we finished those. Here you go." And that's when it was put on Netflix, and then they just announced that they're going to finish the story once and for all, and that's what's going to be on their probably their their um, whatever streaming service once Disney makes it. Oh yeah, I heard about that. Yeah. Um, oh well, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I really. I I know that Disney had kind of, I guess, stopped Clone Wars, but I I thought, or not stopped it, but like removed it from canon. No, um, it still is. Wait, it's still canon or removed from canon? It's still. It's in canon. Oh okay. Yeah. Which is good because honestly, that show and Rebels probably did more for Star Wars than any of the new movies have. Yeah. Um, and at least those, the, you know, the cartoons make sense. I mean, when I was talking, like, watching the, the YouTube videos about, like, the different plans, like, Palpatine's rise to Ascension, or rise to, like, Emperor, doesn't make any sense. Um, honestly, the rescue of Han from Jabba's Palace plan doesn't, <laughs> yeah. doesn't make any goddamn sense. None. Like, like I, was just, I was just looking at it, and the fact that they had Lando planted in Jabba's palace as a very trusted guard, which must have taken months, if not a year or, or more, I mean, couldn't Lando have just done it? Like, <laughs> it reminds why, me of, why? do you remember the Key and Peele skit where they're, um, like they're coming up with the, the bank heist, and he's like, oh, I have the perfect one planned. So listen, we both go in, and we get jobs to start <laughs> off. <laughs> and he's like running around, goes through the entire thing. He's like, yeah, that's a job. <laughs> They'll never know. We slowly, week by week, we just take some of them. They pay us and we take some of that money out. <laughs> Maybe that's how Lando got in at Jabba's. Just like he actually just got a job. Yeah. yeah. Because like I was just thinking about it. I was like, man, like Lando, you are a trusted guard there. Like, why did Leia have to come in and get caught? Why did C-3PO and R2 have to... You were already there. You could have done it. You know, you just take one day when you were on the night shift, like, guarding the main room, and you could have just done it. But instead, there was this whole plan of Leia has to show up and get captured, and Chewie has to show up and get captured, and... I guess, Actually, everyone has to show up and get captured, and then hope that Leia becomes a slave on the barge... So that she can choke Jabba, but they were going to blow it up anyway, so it didn't make any sense. And to to know that the Rancor pit would be his primary way to kill people, and like, what if they what if they just shot Luke instead of bringing him to the pit? Like, what if, what if they just shot everybody? Good thing R two was on the banister of the sail barge when he was about to get thrown into the Sarlacc pit, right? Like, w- what if Luke just went to Jabba's palace with his lightsaber? It's just, it's way, it's way too many holes. There's, there's, there's others. Um, I was trying to think what the other big one was that they were, uh, they that I talked about. But I feel like there are so many crazy convoluted plans um, that just don't make any sense. And Star Wars is such a big one because, you know, um, George Lucas is a terrible writer, 
and mm-hmm. shouldn't be allowed to write things. Well, he's um, he's stopped. They've they've taken away his pen and paper. Did you hear what he uh, he had originally planned for the next three movies? Uh, I I don't remember. Um. So the next three movies, I'm trying to remember the name he was actually going to call them. Um, but they were going to be about the micro, the micro, uh, uh, micro. Yeah, I remember that now. Yeah, the 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 like cellular cellular level of the Force and being a Jedi. Like it wasn't even going to be about people. It was going to be about like the evolution of the biology of the Force. So like a documentary on midichlorians. Yeah, pretty. That's pretty what much. like when he described it. That's what it sounded like. They should have done like that. Would have been cool if they did it on like. TLC or Discovery or something like that as a fake documentary for publicity for the next Star Wars thing. Um, yeah, so his plan was to create a th- three more movies that would be about the microbiotic world linked to Metachlorians. Um, and it was going to be called uh, The Wills Foreshadow... Oh, the Wills, or The World of the Wills. And the Wills, spelled uh, W-H-I-L-L-S, yeah. were the, the you know the microscopic organisms that basically created the Force. And it was going to be about their story, because George Lucas claims that Star Wars isn't actually about stars or wars or the Skywalker family or Jedi or any of that. It's actually just about the Force. Um... Yeah, and he was basically going to make this because he said, this is the thing I wanted to make. I know everyone's going to hate it, but everyone would hate what I made anyway, so he's just going to do what he wants. So, I guess we dodged a bullet? Um, I don't know. Honestly, not... this is why I'm slowly like exiting the Star Wars scene. Not quickly, but slowly. Very, very slowly. They, they, they get an uptick every so often. Yeah. It's not often, but, you know, Occasionally, I'm excited to see the um, the Clone Wars revisited. Uh, you know the the new one that they finally finished. I do not mm-hmm. care for the resistance that they're making. I say that now. The show will come out. I'll watch it. I'll love it. But I, I I'm not in- initially interested. Rebels, I was. Um, I don't care for any of the comics that are currently running. I do want to read Vader, and I heard a lot of good things about. I think her name is Doctor Afra. The, uh, oh, I don't, yeah, I don't she's know. like a rogue-like smuggler person that he recruits in order to use her for some missions, and she brings on like the evil C three PO and R two D two. Huh? No, I don't know. I, I I saw recently the teasers for uh, Vader's fortress. Yeah, or uh, Vader's castle. Mm-hmm. One of those. Yeah, they put it. Um, on, they put on Mustafar this time instead of um, Vajun. Uh, I mean, which which looks cool from the little teasers I saw. Um, apparently, a lot of people like the Star Wars comics um, sometimes yeah. way more than like the books or even the movies. Yeah. Um, and the lack of interest ones, I mean, more for like the Poe Dameron, the any of the ones that are set in the future timeline, not the classic ones. Mm-hmm. Actually, even like Star Wars, like Star Wars, like when it's a Luke Han and Leia, I don't care for those either. It's really like the Vader one that I heard was amazing. 
Yeah, and that's I think that's the one that everyone takes screenshots of, mm-hmm. and like I, I've seen posted all over Twitter and and Instagram, and, and uh, maybe not so much Instagram. I see on Twitter a lot mm-hmm. uh, of those screenshots of of the Vader comics, because um, they they do look really good, and from what I've heard, they're supposed to be great. Mm. Um, but speaking of things you heard that are supposed to be great, uh, if you haven't noticed already, you are listening to episode five of the the Scream Lords. Uh, he did that it. Is, he did it that again. Is a, that is a seamless, seamless uh, transition. That was whew, That was good. Um, so hopefully by now you 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 know what you're listening to. Maybe you didn't. Maybe this is your first time. In which case, I'm sorry for the 10 minute intro. Um, but that's 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 a, that's our little preamble. Get get our little show preamble going on there. Um, but anyway, so this is the Scream Lords. Uh, it is a roundtable podcast about board games, card games, video games pop culture, a lot of times Star Wars, um, and, and kind of whatever we are into and looking at at the moment in the world of pop culture. Uh, as always, I am your host, David Tepfer, uh, and with me as always are my two co-hosts, uh, Tim Fanoia. Hey, how's it going? Uh, and Nick Rivera. Hi, everybody. Uh, how are you guys doing this week? Pretty good now. I'm, I'm doing good. <laughs> i thought oh, he was, um, i thought he was gonna go more into that and then it's like oh okay no no, no that's, I'll just, that's I'll, it i'll just yeah that that's it just just a little thing um uh but yeah um so now that our we've got our preamble out of the way um i wanted to go a little bit into our week see what we've been doing lately it looks like from the docket that everyone has had a more exciting week than i am than i have pardon me um so why don't we get started right away uh nick what have you uh what have you been doing this week or this past week so my week yeah i did uh quite a bit actually i played a little board games i bought a new computer part um Ooh. yeah it's not none special with computer parts but like the last couple of sessions it has been really hot and um i think the heat wave is finally over so maybe today is just an exception to that or I don't, or if the part I bought is working, but um, being a new homeowner, I have to be more conscious about our electric bill, mm-hmm. and the old power supply unit that I was using was not very new or very uh, power efficient, should we say? So um, I bought a gold rated power supply, and it's running a lot cooler, and I'm hoping it also will cut down the electric bill quite a bit. Yeah, I was going to say, doing this show has the unfortunate side effect of being extremely warm in a room. Like, I, I, I'm i not sure what your your setup looks like, but being in a completely closed-off room with no fans, no open windows, um, a incredibly hot desk light over two laptops, um, yeah, it gets pretty warm. Yeah, because at <laughs> least, like, with me and Tim in here, it you would start sweating in your chair. Not like dripping sweat, but for being in a basement that should be cool, it's not. So I'm hoping yeah, that it's uh, warm. I'm hoping that it does do its job. And plus too, the gold rated versus mine wasn't even rated before, which was I thought funny. <laughs> it wasn't even bronze. It was just power like hey, power rated. It's just the power just power. That's they it. they brought it to the rating place and they're like, Yep, that's a power supply. <laughs> So I'm, I'm hoping it does its job. But yeah, uh, aside from the boring stuff, what did I do? I bought two games. You'll be proud. Oh, man. 
I'm already proud. You bought games. I did. So the Jurassic Park one, because I couldn't help myself. Jurassic Park Danger, which is a Target exclusive. Yeah. Um, I actually sent a screenshot. A screenshot. Nick, it's a real life. It's a picture. <laughs> I sent you guys a picture of the no, wall. Screen, screen, screenshot it or it didn't happen. I don't care if it's real life. Right. <laughs> but I, I sent you guys the picture of just their, um, their local Target's wall of uh, board games. And what did you think of the selection? Because you're going to recognize the games more than me. I mean, it's getting better um i still you know i still wouldn't i i don't think i would walk into target and be like overwhelmed although there is currently a trend uh on facebook specifically the uh uh i belong to too many facebook uh, board game facebook groups but i think i think it's just the the general board game facebook group uh of people going to their local targets and taking pictures of the board game section um, because it differs regionally. Oh, huh. Uh, yeah. So, so like, it's really interesting just seeing across the U S or even in, you know, Europe, uh, what targets have decided to carry regionally. Some of them are way better than ours. Um, but like the one you showed me, you know, they had the staples, they had settlers of Catan, they had ticket to ride. Um, I'm trying to remember if there are any other standouts that weren't the, the ones that they have officially licensed. Um, but be, I mean, they have, you know, Bob Ross is theirs. Um, what is it? Is, um, that, uh, choose your own adventure game, the something house. Um, uh, I can't remember, but the, they have that choose your own adventure card game. Um, the Jurassic Park game, uh, they have Nyctophobia, which is, I, I'm, I mean, this is, this is a pun, but I'm dying to get my hands on it. Bum, yeah. bum, I actually was tempted when I saw that it looked interesting because it was right next uh, to Jurassic Park and it's a big box. So it is it. it is super cool. Uh, it, it, they showed it off at Gen Con last year, uh, and just like such a huge reception for it because it's such a really incredibly unique game. Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Nyctophobia uh, literally means fear of the dark. Um, and essentially, the kind of background behind it is that the designer of the game, uh, Catherine Stipple, um, who, I, looking at videos of her, I would say she's like a teenager, I think, uh, kind of in that age range, which is incredible to see both you know a female designer and a young female uh, board game designer is super incredible and amazing uh, for the industry. Um, but so she created this game essentially for her uncle, I believe it's her uncle, who is blind. And she loved board games and wanted to play board games with him, but he's blind and he really couldn't. So she designed this game that you have to play wearing blackout glasses. So you can't see the board and you can't see the cards. And the entire game is played by touch. Um, So it is a um, kind of like a a vacuum-formed plastic board that you can slot pieces into. Uh, and the pieces have varying shapes and kind of edges and feel to them. And essentially, you're trying to navigate a maze and run away or escape a monster. Um, but you can only navigate the maze through touching kind of the different parts of it. So you're kind of figuring out where walls are and then moving your piece and then seeing how that works. And then the walls can move uh, and different kind of events can happen. Um, so you kind of just have to go by what you can feel and try and remember and do your best guess. Um, but, um, yeah, that was, that was one that target snatched up 
which was really cool because it's also like a super indie game, which I'm actually now seeing, uh, I guess, was picked up and published by Pandasaurus Games, uh, who also did uh, Dinosaur Island, which was a massive uh, Kickstarter success. Um, yeah, sorry, I, I totally hijacked your thing. No, that's cool. My, I mean, you know, my little rant. you know the board games better than I do. Uh, but Nyctophobia is supposed to be super cool. Um, and yeah, whoever Target has buying their board games, I mean that that like that one alone is a really good find. When um, um when you come and visit, you should uh you should uh we should get that one. I know I should look at. I, unfortunately, in Vermont, we don't have a Target yet. Um, they are currently building it, uh, and I think I think it's opening in October. Yeah. Um, I've never I've never been super into Target. Um, or maybe I just always took it for granted when I was living in Connecticut. But now that I know they're doing this whole board game thing, I'm kind of like, oh, I kind of wish we had one. Yeah, so I, I bought one thing from Target, the Jurassic Park one, and um, mm-hmm. Terraforming Mars, which I really want to play. Ooh. Yeah. I haven't played it yet. We played one um, like learning game. We only got mm-hmm. like four or five rounds, and that was just enough so that we can understand how to play. Yeah. Because after Mansions of Madness for two weeks in a row, I don't want any more games that you have to set up for half an hour. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, Terraform Mars is a... It's, it's a, a relatively heavyweight game. That's that, I'm, I'm really curious to see what you guys are going to think I li- of it. We liked it so far. We were a little confused mm-hmm. on the rules. <clears throat> There's just... The, it, it's not as in-depth as I initially thought it was, but it just seems overwhelming mm-hmm. at first because with the, all the stuff that you can do, it's pretty easy now that I kind of figured out how the actual game works. It was one of those I needed to watch it play. Yeah. And then after that, it's uh, easy to pick up. Jurassic Park, meanwhile, is really easy. And it sets up in, like, minutes. You can go you know, pee, use the bathroom. By the time you come out, the game's all set up and ready to go. Now, um, just just before we go on to, to Jurassic Park, I just... Actually, no, go ahead. Uh, we can talk about Terraform and Mars when you actually play it. Well, I play... Um, but yeah, Jurassic I did, Park... I, did, I oh, could go into it a little bit, but not... Uh, no, 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 no. We, we can hold off till you, you, you know, you've played through a full game and I got more on it because I was just going to comment on it, but we can we can we can hold off Uh-oh. on that because like Jurassic Park, I have I have no idea about that. I I know absolutely nothing about yeah. it, um, except that you bought it from Target and that Target carries yeah. it. So I'm curious. So you get to play. It's uh, one v one versus all. One person is uh, the dinosaurs, who is um, the raptor, the Dilophosaur, and the T Rex, and then everyone else are the the original cast of the first movie. So I think it's one to four, uh, five players up to one, um, two to five players. One person's the dinosaurs, and then four people are the other people. Um, anything less, and then you can double up and you can control two people. But um, the way it works is the dinosaurs have to eliminate at least three characters, not three players, but three characters, or the humans have to escape the island. In order to escape the island, you have to receive your goal token, which each character is different. So some people, like John Hammond, he has his right off the bat. He doesn't have to earn his through the course of the game. He can pretty much run to the helicopter once it's there, and he's escaped to safety. Whereas others, like um, 
Ellie Sattler, she gets her gold token simply by going to a specific space, which is the, the Triceratops um, pen. Once she's there, she picks up her gold token, and then she's able to leave. You can't leave the island unless you have your gold token. The whole time, the dinosaurs are trying to attack you, and by attacking, you don't have health. You just have a hand of, uh, I think, 10 cards. And over the course of the game, um, you discard your cards as you use them. And then certain times you'll burn the cards. So they're removed from the discard and your hand and you can't pull them or put them back into your um, deck anymore. Once you're out of cards, that character is eliminated. Interesting. Yeah. So if like the three of us were to play, you guys would both control two guys. Mm -hmm. And then um, if I eliminate one, like say, Dave, if you're playing as Gennaro, the lawyer and um, Nedry, if I were to eliminate Nedry, you just find another character to play and you keep going until I eliminate three or you escape with the three people. Okay. So yeah, that is that is a that that's a pretty simple game. That sounds pretty easy to pick up and play. Mm-hmm. It's pretty quick. Um some of the more advanced rulings are um a little tougher. So just like the the rule clarifications, Rachel and I ended up playing my fiance. Um, we ended up playing again like a day or two after, and um, I was a little more aggressive than the first player that was the dinosaurs. I was the dinosaurs this time around, and I tried to be a lot more aggressive. And she called me out on some of the more rules that we discovered were not the correct way to play initially. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's always going to happen your first playthrough, honestly. Yeah, so um, it is tough playing the dinosaurs trying to um, eliminate the characters because if they're... The board is small, so it's set up like Catan where you have a perimeter of tiles that are put down randomly and then the there's the outside perimeter and the inside perimeter. So the outside has the three... Um, spaces that are dedicated at all times to be the visitor center the uh control shed and the bunker no maintenance shed and control room sure i don't know i i forget but those three places have to be activated by the player uh by the humans for the helicopter to show up each one has a bonus so like the visitor center if you unlock it you get to put like two cards from your discard pile into your hand right off the bat another one is um you can there's cliffs and hills that are obstacles for you to navigate through the island uh not cliffs uh cliffs and uh fences rather um by when the game starts the fences are turned off when you turn on the maintenance shed you can have the option of turning on all of the fences and that prevents people from climbing over them and that can help you or ruin your day that can either make your day or ruin it depending on uh, how the whole island was set up and then the last one uh prevents dinosaurs from entering those buildings so they're like safe zones Mm -hmm. so this game is is kind of literally you know jurassic park the first movie the board game yes huh now i i'm I'm just checked out the game a little bit with the player count but is there ever a situation where only, where every person only gets one character? Or is there always leftover that they can kind of play through when they get killed? There's always leftover. Oh, You're okay. playing as the whole cast. So you have um, Alan Grant, Ellie Sattler, Malcolm, Hammond, Gennaro, Dennis Nedry, the two kids, Muldoon, um, John Arnold. Yeah, there's ten different 
people oh. that can be played. Oh, okay. So even at max, like everyone's still going to have two people that they could run through. Yeah. And at any time, you can elect to eliminate your character. <laughs> sometimes you'll... Some, well, sometimes you have to, only because like um, Hammond's thing is that his gold token is received immediately. But once you lose your gold token, you can't get it back. So his stipulation for winning is um, no other character can be eliminated. And if they are, he loses his gold token. So he's useless after that point. Uh, so you just end up pulling like Hammond's sacrifice plays to the Raptors? Yeah. And at that point, that would mean that two players were or two characters were eliminated, and the dinosaurs only need one more to win. Oh, oh, that makes Hammond really hard then. Yeah. When Tim and I played, it was really lucky that <clears throat> Hammond lived because if someone were to have died, that would have also eliminated Hammond at the same time. Right, right. Because yeah, he's, he's, I actually, hmm? I actually loved our team that finally ended up making it to the helicopter because it was. Uh, Gennaro, Nedry, and Hammond, and then like Ian Malcolm died, and um, I forgot who else ended up dying out there, but it's like, so at the end of the movie, it's Dennis Nedry, the lawyer, and Hammond that make it to the helicopter, <laughs> and everybody else is left on the island. Well, I mean, that kind of makes sense, though, right? I mean, that that's who you'd technically want to evac. I feel like that would be a dark ending in the actual movie. You're right. Uh, oh, Den- I'm sorry. Dennis Nedry is the, the the traitor IT guy, the Wayne Knight. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I yep. I was thinking it was uh, Samuel L. Jackson's character. Nope. Oh no, Newman. Um, or even yeah, right. Or even yeah, either him or Robert Muldoon would I think would be appropriate. Yeah, Dennis Nedry. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Still though, if it's Hammond and the lawyer, that's that's the dark ending. That's the you know. The, the sleazy lawyer getting his client out of the bad situation and screw everybody else. Mm. It was fun. I liked it. It was short and quick, um, lighthearted and simple. So it wasn't bad at all. Yeah, I'd be curious to try it. Yeah. Terraforming Mars, like I said, it took us a bit of time to kind of learn how to play it. Mm-hmm. I understand how to play it now, but it's um, still, we have to actually sit and play it have you played it? Uh, I have, yes. Um, yeah. I, although I only played it at uh, Quarterstaff Games, the uh, our my friendly local game store, uh, when they uh, the, when Terraforming Mars was nominated for the Spiel des Jahres, they they had it out and they they had a sale on it and everything, and I got a chance to play it. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, I'm curious to see what you think. Because that is going to that yeah it's it's a, a very abstract game, um, yeah I'll be curious it's very you, yeah it's very science orientated which I do like and it's all based on factual science too yeah and uh, I think they just I think they just recently came out with a small expansion for it too I know it's been doing like gangbusters well mm. I don't know if we're gonna get that soon. But oh yeah, at least yeah, started out because every con we've went to, they played it. Oh really? Or at least I've I've seen it being played, or like it. It's always been like it has a very strong presence at every con that we went to with you. Mm-hmm. So I figured when I went to the store, it was actually either that or Evolution that I almost picked up. Yeah, that one I haven't got a chance to try, but I always hear really great things about it. Yeah, Evolution looked fun enough that I was really torn between the two and. 
I had Rachel come in and I actually texted her because she was waiting in the car. I'm like, help. She came in and she's like, I don't know. I, either one will work fine. So I I welcome the uh, it's a welcoming challenge to play terra, uh, Terraforming Mars, but it's a challenge I'm willing to try out. And uh, that's that's uh, yeah. That's that's your week. You're all set. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. <laughs> <laughs> nothing going. Nothing. Nothing going on. No. 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 It's gone. All right. Uh, Tim, how about you? How was your week? Um. Well, aside from everything else mm-hmm. uh, that we were talking about, um, gaming wise and movie wise and whatnot, it. I've ended up playing a lot more um, kind of like handhelds and mobile this week only because I've been um, home and whatnot or traveling back home to my parents and everything. Um, so there was one that I ended up playing yesterday as part of, as part of the mobile minute. Um, so what I've been playing yesterday was a game called Armory and Machine on my mobile. It's kind of an, an interesting little thing. It's almost better if you kind of don't know a lot going into it. It's one of those things where I ended up just downloading and giving it a shot because it just seemed a little, I don't know, peculiar. Um, so I just wanted something a little more interesting than my normal, like, beat-em-up games or puzzle questy games and whatnot. But Armor and Machine, it ends up starting off where you're just on, like, a blank screen, and it just has a bar, and it just has, like, 0 of 10, and then there's just a button that says Heat, hmm. and then you'll hit the button... And then it ends up filling, and then you get like one of ten, and nothing else happens. And then you hit it again, and then it's like two of ten, and then you hit it again, and it's like three of ten. And then at that point, it pops up like another menu that's like log. And then you end up clicking that, and then it gives you like a brief little thing of what's going on. It's like, oh, the heat as it generates warms the snow around it. But then you go back to your main screen, and it's just building the heat thing. But then as you play and you do more stuff and uh, whatnot, as you like do the heat and then you unlock more logs of what's going on, you kind of start to like build. It's almost like building a game from the ground up because all of a sudden now from heat and then it's, oh, you need a place to contain it. So then all of a sudden you unlock a new bar that's then building containers for it. And then you unlock like a new bar after that. But then you end up like generating fluid from that heat that can then end up like increasing productivity and whatnot. And then you end up like the heat and the like snow draws people to it and then you end up getting workers so then you start unlocking other menus other tabs other things to do and it it's kind of like an idle management game but it, it's kind of interesting cuz rather than having all of that up front it's almost like um kind of finding everything out as you go and kind of unraveling the mystery of what exactly the game is about because i got to the point where i figured like oh i'm just like making workers now i'm just getting like the heat buildup and the containers and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you have enough stuff now that you can try to venture out of like the um, valley that you're in or whatever. So I do like explore. I have to build fuel for my ship and then I go explore. And then it takes me into like an old school combat thing where I have like one attack button that I can do. And it's just like the old kind of um, almost like a mud style thing. It's just like a text fighter. Um, yeah, I was going to say, like, it, it sounds a lot like a mud. Yeah, and then as you're going, it ends up being, okay, well, you defeated that, and you end up getting a key and some materials, and you find out that you can use the materials and the key to unlock another part of, like, your kind of main um, building thing. 
And then you end up getting options of, do you now want to start training some workers as soldiers, as inventors, as hunters? Do you want to get better uh, weaponry and whatnot? So now it goes from just kind of your weird little management thing to now all of a sudden it's, I'm managing all these resources so I can build my own like little army and whatnot and venture further out into the wilderness and go into different parts of wherever this is. And each section you end up doing, you just keep like unlocking more things and unlocking a little bit more of the storyline and the logs there. So you never really know completely what's going on. It's just kind of, they really do a pretty good job of you just kind of like wake up with no knowledge whatsoever and then just unlock it as you go and you start learning all these things. So it's really kind of a fascinating little thing. Um, certainly if you have time or if you have time to kill, I would check it out. Especially if you do like games like the idle management ones. Um, it's not like the some of the other idle management ones like tab quests and things like that. So it, it's kind of interesting. It's very bare bones in terms of the user interface. Um, but I think it's worth checking out. It, it kept me busy for a while. Um, but it is. it does seem like one of those things that it kept me busy for a while, but I probably won't go back to it too much. It just mm-hmm. kind of took up like a day's worth of my time, and I felt like I kind of had a good time with it, but I'll probably delete it soon. Um, but it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and it does kind of sound like a modern take on MUDs, which for anyone who doesn't know or, you know, wasn't born in, you know, by 1980... Um, a mod is a multi-user dungeon, uh, which essentially was, uh, how do I explain it, uh, kind of early MMOs where they're essentially text-based kind of dungeon fantasy adventure games uh, where using kind of basic computer commands, you would control a character and it would kind of, depending on where you were in the, the game and the code, um, would tell you what was going on. It were really fascinating and incredibly popular for a long time. Um, but this kind of sounds like kind of sounds like that, but in a single player experience, especially just with kind of the limited interaction you have with it uh, and just how it responds. That's uh, that's kind of cool. I just did a quick search of it, and there's apparently a huge community built around it. Um, uh, appar- apparently, that rabbit hole goes pretty deep. Um, just kind of from what I was looking at. Uh, yeah, it's certainly it's something interesting to check out if nothing else it's more of an experience than a game i guess um but it's worth checking out if you have some time and it's super quick to download so it's not like it's going to be very intensive or one of those ones that it's going to take up a lot of space on your um phone if you're worried about that, that sort of thing so yeah that's the one that i was playing for the most part um yesterday there is a another one that i want to discuss though um in terms of mobile games that um, we'll do very gingerly, um, only because I kind of don't want it to get taken down or sued. <laughs> I, I was going to say, I'm sure they already know about it. <laughs> okay. And if they don't, I'm sure they're not going to hear, like, it's not breaking news coming from here. So anybody that out there, there's a game on uh, apps called Legendary Trainer, um, which you'll see has a suspicious... Um, resemblance to a certain Pocket Monsters game from over the years. <laughs> uh, originally, I thought like I thought it was going to be one of those like knockoff games or something. Or you always see like the you're on Instagram or something like that, and they end up showing you a a quick video, and it's like, oh, check out this game, and it shows you all these different things, and then you end up finding out it's nothing like that. That 
oh, you can grow wings and fly, and it's like a 3D brawler or something, and then you check out the game, and you find out that it's like a slot machine game or something. I thought it was going to be the same case with this, and then their whole thing of pushing like monsters and whatnot, I thought, oh, it's going to be like a Pokemon knockoff. And then I downloaded the game, and I guess it doesn't really count as a Pokemon knockoff anymore if it's literally just Pokemon. Um, yeah, because I, I got a Pokemon from Professor Oak. Uh, the opening titles is quotes by or quotes by Professor Oak. Like I, I saw screenshots of it, and I was just like, "Wait, that's just Pikachu!" Like, just yeah. straight up. <laughs> like, there's Pikachu. There's Charizard. Like, I am playing as Red. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, I thought there's... they were going to be like, "Oh, we'll give them like." electric mouse rather than saying their real names or something it's just hey ash take your pikachu and go do this quest for me and it's like oh they are not tiptoeing around the fact that this is intellectual property uh like issues um yeah yeah, i mean definitely like i i'm assuming it's going to be taken down soon um i don't know how long it's been around but i decided to just give it a shot um it's the other thing that kind of is a little problematic is not only is it something that they made using this IP and then they released it um, for this, but they're also really big on all the different like microtransactions and whatnot in the game or like sign up for our monthly, like pay your monthly payment and then you get all these other things in there and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, there m- must be making money off of it, like a bit of money off of this, especially seeing as everybody's probably flocking to the fact that it's an 3D MMO Pokemon game that is, it kind of resembles um, a little bit of it reminds me of a lot of the other ones I mentioned last week, like the uh, the Naruto, Boruto High Voltage or whatever it was and the Marvel Future mm-hmm. Fight, that you have like your main attack and then you can equip up to like four other special attacks on them and you kind of use your like left thumb to move them around and whatnot and then attack with the others. So it's kind of similar to those but it also reminds me heavily of if you've ever heard of black desert online um oh yes yeah where it's kind of like that in the sense of you get your different quests and whatnot that you can work on but if you don't know where to go or if you don't want to walk there you can just select follow on the quest or you can just tap the quest and it will automatically start walking you in the direction of where you need to turn in that quest um, and then if you want, you like earn other like teleport tags and whatnot. So if you don't want to wait walking over there, you can just teleport directly to the uh, that quest zone or that quest keeper. So, I mean, it, that's kind of cool. Like it's especially on a mobile. If it's something on my PC, like if I'm playing an actual MMO, if I'm doing WoW or something, I don't really I wouldn't really like the function of just, oh, click on the quest and we'll just walk you to the quest for you because I feel like that's removing me far too much. But for a free mobile game on my phone, that's kind of nice to just not have to deal with it that much. Um, But yeah, pretty much you end up just taking on quests and whatnot. It's going around the actual 3D world of all these different zones. So like, I just left Pallet Town and everything. You get all of your Pokemon and whatnot. You involve them. Uh, The only difference is you can also equip them with different gear and whatnot and then level the gear. Uh, You have control over their IVs, their EVs. You can like do resets to them. Um, so it's very in-depth in terms of the different upgrades and additions and skill changes and whatnot. All the Pokemon have skill trees that you can kind of upgrade and whatnot. So it's kind of very cool. I'm hoping if they do end up taking it down that they at least end up doing something similar to that for the other releases like the Let's Go games or something. Because 
as far as their system, if they took out the energy and they took out all the other kind of mobile gimmicks, it's kind of a, a fun game. Um, I know, like, if they just said 30 bucks and they have it on Switch or something, I would probably buy it if that were the case. Yeah, I mean, and the more I look at this, I'm just like, how how did they get away with this if it's not licensed? Like, it's so strange for something like this to come out. Although, and it it's also really hard to find any information on who the publisher is. Because I wanted to take a look, because I know recently there's been a rash of uh, Chinese publishers who have been doing this kind of thing. I know they were notorious because recently they did it with Overwatch, uh, where they basically just made an Overwatch clone that included, you know, some of the characters from Overwatch in it. Um, because Chinese intellectual property laws are kind of vague and loose, and the courts usually rule in favor of the Chinese publisher. Um, and most of those games just kind of exist in tandem, and some people choose to play them, but you know, usually the mainstream game just kind of ends up winning. Um, but I can't even find who publishes this. Um, but the, you know, the, the, the amount of microtransactions and everything, it make me think it's probably something like that. Um, it's just such a tempting game because we've all wanted a Pokemon MMO forever. Yeah. Um, or even just like a, or just like a real Pokemon like RPG. Now I know like the, the handheld, like not the handheld, but the, the, you know, because Pokemon's always been on mobile with the exception of a couple not very good console games and some weird spinoffs. Um, it would just be nice to, to really get like that full fledged Pokemon role playing game. Um, or like the MMO, because it like the Pokemon world is so perfect for an MMO. Like, it, it, oh man, it makes so much sense. And I I would at least give that a decent shot if they announced like a real Pokemon MMO for it. Or, or hell, you know, I would play a Pokemon RPG if it was like, oh hey, going on consoles and Steam, and it's like this big full like big in depth you know role playing game outside of you know some of the I guess the lighter. RPGs for Pokemon that came out on uh, mobile. Or not mobile, but uh, like the DS and stuff. There was like a quick comic thing. It was like a six-panel thing that I saw where it was like a news segment where it said, the world is destabilized as we are on month like 10 of no one going to work after the release of the new Pokemon MMO by Nintendo. It was kind yeah, of funny I, I, that, like, it, I can see that happening, too, with how popular Go was. If they made a legit um, MMO, hell yeah. Yeah, I cannot imagine how popular, like, a full-fledged MMO would be. And it would be so, like, is it, it would be so easy. Like, look, there's so much world-building that's already laid down. Everyone is familiar with at least the original 150. Like, it's so, it's such a well-known IP that it would not be difficult for it to gain traction. And it it really just makes sense um, for it to exist in MMO form. I mean, we saw how much or how well World of Warcraft took off. And, and while it didn't even have that much of an established IP, like before WoW came out, it was just three real-time war strategy games. Like, that's it. You know, the first one wasn't even good, you know, and and to see how that took off, like, if you could imagine something with, well, 
Hmm. Maybe that's an interesting discussion. I mean, how far would an IP push it? I mean, we saw how, you know, Lord of the Rings did, or a lot of other big IPs, and they all kind of failed. Um, but is Pokemon different? I always thought of, like, the, the reason why they don't do an online Pokemon MMO is because they want to keep it in their back pocket as, like, in case of bankruptcy, break glass kind of deal that <laughs> they know... Oh, if anything ever happens, all we have to do, fine, we'll finally release that Pokemon MMO game. And then just, like, make all their money. Yeah, I can see that. That's kind of like what Capcom recently did with uh, the Resident Evil 2 remake and uh, Final Fantasy, not Final Fantasy, I'm sorry, wrong company. But the Resident Evil 2 remake, that was, like, their, in case of bankruptcy, break glass. Because Capcom has, <laughs> has fallen from grace, certainly. Well, the Street Fighter's doing... Okay, isn't it? Well, no, Street Fighter is doing well, but Capcom was in a really difficult place for a while. Um, between, um, was it uh, Street Fighter 3rd Strike and 4, which 4 did okay. Um, they had some trouble because 4 did okay. Uh, DMC Devil May Cry did poorly. Um, the last installment of Omnimusha did bad. Um, Resident Evil 6 did poorly. Um, there, there was, there was a lot of, they were just, they had like a seven year period where Capcom was struggling really, really badly. You know, I'm actually noticing a theme lately. I've been watching the angry video game nerd and he just, the the episode I just watched was him reviewing, um, the Mega Man games or the later ones anyway. Mm -hmm. And I feel like Capcom has a really hard time not repeating themselves and it, all of their properties keeps going stale because it's not just Mega Man. It's Mega Man two one through like I think they got up to what eight, mm-hmm. and it's the same exact formula. Resident Evil they did the same formula for like six or seven games, and then they started to do the same thing again with four, and then at four became five, five became six, and like people don't want it. Just the staleness caught up even faster, and then Street Fighter. How many? versions of street fighter 2 are there or street fighter 3 uh well I, so that gets that gets tricky because fighting games are all about like the small changes yeah i get balancing uh, and all that but i mean at the time of when it was just the super nintendo did you really need super super ultra ultra super oh that's true that 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 is a good point um and then yeah street fighter 2 and then double impact and then yeah, that's true. They are, yeah, they're notorious for that um, with all of their games. I mean, you haven't seen a significant change in Mega Man since we went from, what, uh, X. Mega Man 9 to X? Yep. Um, and then, what, we got X through, what, X7? X6, maybe? I can't remember how many there were. Yeah, 7. Uh, and then we haven't seen Mega Man since Mega Man 64, which was a colossal failure. Mm-hmm. Um... Although, speaking of Capcom... Oh, never mind. Not Capcom. Man, I keep confusing Capcom with other companies. I gotta stop yeah, doing that. Yeah, because Capcom was doing... Um, I know, like, their big one back in January was Monster Hunter World that kind of brought things back. And I yeah. think with um, the remaster, the, the remake of Resident Evil 2, and then the release of the new Devil May Cry and whatnot, that they're probably going to end up being in good shape going forward for a bit. Um, but I was really disappointed that, like, compared to Resident Evil 5 and 6, that both did, like, over 7 million copies, and then Resident Evil 7, that I did enjoy, only ended up doing, like, 5. 
Um, really? Wow. So I'm wondering if they're trying to bring back Resident Evil fans by doing the remake or the remake of two. Um, Cause it's kind of disappointing that seven didn't do as well as like the ultra actiony five and six, which even though I enjoyed those, I enjoyed them like in a different way than I did seven. I think yeah. it was burnout from a trilogy. Like one was great. So two is going to make a lot of money, even though two didn't do all that great. And then the third one just no one cares anymore. So I'm pretty sure people were burnt out from six that when they heard another Resident Evil game was coming out, they're like, no, I'm not going to play it. That's true. And like when four came out, it was almost like a completely new game, which four was great because, well, it was great, but it was also really a breath of fresh air to the franchise. Oh, yeah. I loved it. Because um, it just it, it, it turned everything on its head and it was it was super fun um, and just brought the series in a new direction. It was an incredible game. Um, but I don't, but I believe the director who did four didn't do five or six, but I think they just kept his style, mm-hmm. um, which ended up getting kind of tired, especially since five really borrowed super heavily from four, um, just with the inclusion of co-op, it felt at times kind of samey, um, which, you know, isn't a bad thing when you're copying a really good game, um, but it was just kind of a little samey. And then six, I was kind of, I was bored of that formula again. So, which um, I liked five and six, but it's one of those things where I probably for the most part, couldn't tell what parts were specifically from five and what parts were specifically from six. Um, as far as like storyline for the most part, but it's still like, I always have a blast going back to it. Um, like after a while and then just redoing co-op modes on it because it's there aren't like a ton of co-ops that i can get people to play but resident evil is usually pretty easy to just pick up um on a side note there i had i had a major gripe with five which is probably a dumb gripe and it was the fact that so if you're familiar with the resident evil franchise uh in resident evil one kind of the granddaddy, granddaddy of this all. And, and honestly, my favorite Resident Evil, I know most people it's two, but mine was one. Um, you, the, the, the majority of the game takes place in the Spencer Mansion, which is like this crazy mansion that's full of puzzles and weird things and, you know, bizarre layout choices, all because the guy, Spencer, who, who owns the mansion, is eccentric and evil and all of these things. Um, and the fact that in Resident Evil 5... They just kill him off in a cutscene, and we never get that satisfaction of like the confrontation to like with with either Chris or no, I guess it would be Chris because um, uh, Nick, who who was the other optional uh, player in one? Was it Jill? Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, that you never you never got the payoff of like Jill and Chris confronting uh, Spencer. Like, finally, after all these years, what do you have to say for yourself? Or whatever. But instead, Wesker just kills him in a cutscene. I was I was so disappointed by that. I don't yeah. know. Did, did you feel... Did, did either of you feel anything about that? I um, don't really remember any of it. Oh. This, <laughs> well, it's not even that I haven't played them in so long. It's just the original set had a memorable story and the gameplay to go with it. The new ones just felt like an arcade game where here's the quick reason why you're doing all of this stuff. Go kill stuff. 
there was no real meat and potatoes with the game. It was just like all action and no real story to it. Like, can you explain to me why in the heart of all of this corruption and like, oh no, I, it's now the final moment that Chris is going to defeat Wesker that I even, I don't even remember who he was fighting at the time that a boulder gets in his way and he just uses his fists to break the boulder. Well, I mean, Chris is, he's pretty jacked. I know, right now. but like, <laughs> that's, that's pretty much like, that's when I knew like, oh, well, Resident Evil's dead. He punches the boulder with his fist. Smash A, smash A. <laughs> oh man, Resident Evil 4, the, the, the inventor of QTEs, essentially, or quick time events, which probably destroyed two years of video games. <laughs> Yeah, I'm oh. kind of glad. Like both of them were fun, but I'm kind of glad that we're back to getting away from so many quick time events. Um, just because during a cutscene, I want to put my controller down and do something. <laughs> like that's my time to open a drink, or that's my time to like have a snack. I don't have to all of a sudden be, oh boy, I forgot to hit Y. It's like now you're dead, and you got to redo that hard scene again. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine if, like, for example, Metal Gear Solid Five had QTEs within their half-hour cutscenes? I still have flashbacks to that that <laughs> that microwave hallway, uh, <laughs> which I guess is essentially a QTE cutscene, right? Because you're just kind of crawling along, pushing forward for like ten minutes. Yeah, I remember I mean, originally when that um, came out, and Nick was. Uh, playing through it and he came over my house to just like play through the entire game and i would just go get like popcorn and whatnot and then come back in because it's like i'm just watching a movie at this point i mean it it really kind of was at times because i do remember because i i had my i got my ps3 and i got the bundle with metal gear solid 5 or 4 i can't remember anymore or i got four yeah I, i remember bringing it up to you right Oh, that's right. That's right. You did. Yeah. Um, and like playing it and realizing very quickly that it was very different from the other ones, which were, you know, a lot more gameplay centered. It felt like, um, and Metal Gear Solid 4 was very much like at times play for 15 minutes, watch a half hour cutscene. Um, not to say it was bad. And I think we, we already kind of talked about this at length, uh, I think last episode, um, but you know, a, a, bit, a bit disappointing in some ways. Um, but not to reminisce, uh, Tim, your week we hijacked yet again. <laughs> um, so that was Legend Trainer. Um, so as far as the another one, very briefly, the game that's been out for a while. I think it came out last year. For Honor. Um, right now, if you have gold on Xbox, it's available for free. Uh, it's not something that I would usually spend money on, but seen as it's free anybody out there you can go on and just download it and check it out for anybody unfamiliar with it it's pretty much you end up choosing um different types of fighters from different types of kingdoms so you have like the vikings you have the knights you have the samurai um i think part of dlc now they added a bunch of different kind of um dynasty warriors chinese kingdoms type thing um but pretty much you just pick a different fighter from different areas and then they have a story mode where you can kind of go through and so taking back castles and going through and doing battles and whatnot, where you'll end up fighting a bunch of like low-level kind of nameless guys, um, just general fodder. But then you end up fighting all of their actual generals, which is kind of a, a cool combat system. 
um, where you use your right stick to control where you're going to be deflecting or blocking. You can do your dodges. Um, use both your your bumper and your um, trigger to kind of do heavy and light attacks and just kind of chain them together into combos and whatnot. But it's it's kind of a cool dual system, um, and it's worth checking out if it, seen as it's free. Also, the online multiplier is kind of cool. They have a bunch of different types, kind of like capture the flag. They or well, kind of um, like a domination type thing of capture the point. You have deathmatch, you have duels, you have brawls, like two on twos and whatnot. But depending on which kingdom you're fighting for, you will earn troops to place into different parts of the map over time. Um, so every week, or I believe it's like every day, and then every week, and then every month or something, they'll have the end of a battle, the end of like the um, campaign and then the end of the war or whatever where they'll show you who took over different parts of the map and who's can control there that way you kind of get different boosts and whatnot so it's kind of a cool like uh real or kind of ongoing online system that way it's not just match to match it's this carries over overall so you're kind of doing like the ongoing war effort um but yeah i'm not going to go into it too too far um but just anybody out there it's free now so it's worth checking out for september yeah, I think especially now. Um, I so I, I I never actually got hands on with it, but it's something I had watched simply because it kind of at its core, it's very much like a fighting game, um, in some of like the rock paper scissor elements and um, a bit of their combo system. Um, and since I just love fighting games in general, it was something I kind of watched. Um, and I know recently there's been a, a resurgence uh, in players coming back to the game. Um, because when it originally came out, it had a really great reception and then kind of died off a little bit. Um, but they've made so many improvements and added so many new characters to each of the, the, uh, the kingdoms and now including like the, the Chinese three kingdoms, uh, era faction. Um, there's, uh, supposedly like a ton more people online and it's, it, the community has definitely grown a lot. Um, so I really think, you know, if you are interested in For Honor, now is a really great time to get onto it. Um, especially if you happen to be a, f- a fan of fighting games or fighting game style, uh, combat mechanics. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't have Xbox, so unfortunately I can't jump on and get it for free, but it's something I've always kind of toyed with going back and forth on whether or not I want to, I want to pick it up. So yeah. may- may- maybe when I see you guys, I'll, I'll, I'll jump on your Xbox and give it a shot just, just to finally get hands on it. Yeah, or go knock on my brother's door and just ask if he can sit down for a bit. Oh, that's true. He does have an Xbox, doesn't he? Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll just, I'll just. Hey, I'm hijacking your stuff. Wait, what? What's going on? No, no, no. You go, go eat dinner. I'm gonna, I'm gonna download this game for the next two and a half hours. Here, record thirty <laughs> minutes of uh, the current state of early access space engineers games while I play for honor. <laughs> But yeah, so I, if anybody has Xbox out there and they have gold, check out For Honor. Um, it's cool right now, and it's pretty easy to get some online matches and whatnot, only because everybody's back on. And you can either verse people online, or you can verse AI with co-op people. So if you don't want to do the competitive scene against people, you could always team up with people and then play against the AI for all of these things, and it still counts towards the war effort. So either way, it's kind of cool. Um, as far as movies this week... Went back and uh, my girlfriend and I were watching, uh, again, some of our movies leading up to Halloween. We checked out uh, The Innkeepers that I'd seen a while back. It's another uh, Thai West movie or T-West movie. And it was shot in at the Yankee Peddler Inn in Torrington, Connecticut, which is kind of cool. Um, when I originally found out that it's a Connecticut movie. 
pretty much what it is. Uh, there's two people that work at a hotel at the actual, or they work at the Yankee Peddler Inn in the movie, which is an actual hotel that's now closed in Connecticut. And it's in the movie, the hotel is going to be closing in a couple days. So they're just kind of having the last people there while they just get everything kind of closed up and um, kind of done for it. And while they're both working at the hotel, they are both interested in kind of the paranormal. And there's supposedly the legend of a woman that died at the hotel that haunts it. So during the nights when they're kind of taking turns doing the their shifts um, during the last couple of days, they end up taking all of their equipment and they go around the hotel to record or just kind of try to get um, some paranormal activity going in there. And it's, again, seen as it's a, a Ty West movie, it's kind of a very slow um, beginning. There's If you're looking for just like something along The Conjuring or Insidious, uh, you're not going to have that level of just ongoing excitement. Um, but it's certainly kind of fun and it's interesting. The characters are good, so it's just fun to kind of hang out with them there um, while the story kind of unfolds and then kind of builds up towards the end. So if you're into ghosts, if you're just enjoy supporting uh, movie shot in Connecticut, if you um, like slow kind of build up movies, Innkeepers is certainly fun to check out. I'm gonna have to at one point kind of pick your brain after maybe maybe in a couple of weeks to, to, to just get like so. What's your your best of the last couple of weeks that I should actually sit down and watch? Yeah, I've been meaning to uh, make a list because what I want to do is. Like, I want to make my 31 days of Halloween list and then bang them all out from there. Um, which I know, like, there's lists out there and whatnot, but I think I'm just going to kind of sit down and do my own um, just so I kind of knock them out leading up to Halloween. Or I never really stop to think of what kind of are the ones that I would put on my list. So it'll just be kind of a fun exercise to go through the old noggin and try to figure out. Um, what horror movies I would actually consider worth watching for other people. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll throw something together for you for Halloween and then maybe we can post it or something like that. Yeah. I, uh, mean, I would, I'd, I would definitely have some interest in taking a look at it. Yeah. And as far as, um, in addition to innkeepers, I also, uh, rewatched the gate last night. Um, so the gate is one that I feel like I've been championing since I was a kid, um, walking around, asking people to watch my VHS copy of the gate. Um, but pretty much it's a, an eighties movie, um, with Steven Dorff who later went on to play the villain in like blade. And he played in, uh, actually he played in judgment night with Emilio Estevez, um, that we mentioned the other week. <laughs> but so the, the movie, it, uh, has the, the siblings, uh, a, brother and sister that live in it looks like everywhere California or something like suburbs out somewhere in the 80s um, but pretty much like the kid wakes up and there's a sinkhole in his backyard and him and his buddy end up playing around with it and find like a geode that comes out of it and everything and their parents end up leaving to go um, away for like a couple days and they leave the sister to watch over the brother and his friend stays over um, and it's just kind of a very I don't know, um, kind of nightmare logic, surreal um, movie, but it's it's kind of fun. It's like creatures come out of the, the hole in the back because they end up finding out that they've opened a gate to hell. Um, so like creatures come out there, they start seeing things in the house and all this stuff starts going on. Um, but it's 
all takes place over the course of like one night leading into the next day. Um, well, once it kind of once the action kicks in, it ends up taking the place over the course of like one night, um, which I always like about certain movies. But it is very eighties, so you'll see some of the the creature effects and whatnot are um, like the the claymation style and everything. Um, so they'll might seem a little dated, but it's certainly fun, and it's always been one of my favorites. So. If you're looking for something pretty cool and you don't mind the 80s and you kind of like creature effects and whatnot, definitely worth checking out. Um, not worth checking out the sequel, The Gate 2. That one I don't think it ever made it out of VHS. Um, but you don't have to go looking for that one. Other than that, that's my week. Um, I'll try to come up with a list of some movies for uh, everybody out there as far as like Halloween-wise um, and just in general, but that is everything. That was the the mobile minute. <laughs> I, I like now that the mobile minute just encompasses your entire week for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I guess if you're watching movies on from your phone, that counts. Uh, uh, no, maybe. maybe I should break them into two then. Maybe. I mean, yeah, yep. we're we're very serious about having our dedicated segments. So. <laughs> so that is my week, David. You're weak. All right. So yeah, that one? leaves me. Um, oh, man. Not not the busiest of weeks. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about is I did play a couple games of Ascension this week. Um, for anyone who is kind of in the know, Ascension is an older card game. Um, you know, so you may already know about it, about it but it, it did come off my shelf recently just because it it is probably like my one of my top ten games, um, even though I know Board Game Geek does not, you know, does not score it super highly. Um, Ascent, the original Ascension came out back in 2010, um, and I do have a couple of expansions for it. So I think Ascension probably has like eight or nine expansions at this point, uh, which are broken into seasons, and you can actually get these really gorgeous season tins for them which are kind of these massive boxes, and you can buy all of the expansions in a single tin. And it has extra stuff, and it's super cool. I don't own any of those. I want to own both of those. Um, but I'm having trouble kind of uh, justifying that. Uh, but so Ascension is a, uh, a deck-building game. Um, and it was one of the first uh, deck-builders to come out and take the original premise uh, that was created by the card game Dominion. Um, I think it was Dominion, Thunderstone, and Ascension were kind of the first three to really roll out this style of game. Um, So in a deck building game, uh, each player starts off with the same deck of 10 cards, or at least in the very traditional uh, method of deck builders. Um, And then you use these 10 cards to uh, purchase more cards from kind of an open field uh, to increase the value of your deck or in order for you to kind of uh, earn points uh, through other ways. Um, For example, like in Dominion, you can use cards to buy gold, as well as having each card being worth a certain value to have in your deck at the end of the game. Uh, What made Ascension kind of different from this formula is that in addition to... Well, I guess there's a lot of things that made it different. Um, Mainly, uh, the premise of Ascension is that you are kind of great, powerful warriors going out on a quest to ascend to godhood. Um, and you're doing this a couple of different ways. You're doing this by creating a, an army of kind of characters and warriors, which are your deck. 
um, and you're going out and fighting monsters. Um, so even though it is a head-to-head game, it's very, very abstract because you don't actually fight each other. You're just kind of competing for the cards that are available. Um, so you're going out and you're using runes uh, to add more people to your deck, making your deck worth more points. Uh, and you're killing monsters, which net you kind of physical point tokens. Um, and essentially, uh, yeah, you're just kind of going through using your deck. You're improving the characters you're in your deck, uh, kind of trimming down the fat, quote unquote, the fat in your deck um, by using certain types of cards um, and fighting monsters and shenanigans until you run out of honor crystals. Uh, and then points are tallied up. It's a very, very simple game. Um, it's kind of one of those games where once you set it up, um, you just kind of play cards and do what the cards tell you. Hmm. Um, I think the rule book is literally like three pages. Um, and it was it's it's just super easy to pick up. It's fast. Um, you know, a, a game plays in about a half hour. So kind of if you think of it, it, it plays in kind of your standard two-player card game time. Um, it can play two to four. That's kind of a stretch. It's really a two-player game. Um, and yeah, plays in a half hour. It's super easy, super fun. Um, I own a couple of expansions for it, and I love just bringing it out every so often to play it. Um, it's one of those games where you know the first version came out, and it was very kind of indie style. Um, the artwork wasn't great. The card quality was okay. The components were kind of meh. Um, but over time, you know, they, they had money and funding and they were brought, able to bring more artists on. And at this point, you know, the, the later expansions are just absolutely gorgeous. The art style has really come into its own um, and has this very unique look to it. Um, it has kind of become one of those cornerstone deck builders, even though not everyone talks about it. Um, if you like deck building games or are looking for a two-player competitive card game that isn't quite as cutthroat as like a CCG like Magic the Gathering, um, I would highly recommend Ascension. It is a fantastic game and it has uh, a ton um, of places that you can go with it just with the number of expansions and the amount of time that's been around. I miss deck deck games or card games, you know? Just I don't I I like magic, but then it got too expensive, and then I did Hearthstone, but I burned myself out on it. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like I do miss it periodically, but I don't want to buy decks and cards and because then it's just like where do you put them? Like I already mm-hmm. have enough junk around my house as it is with collectibles and other shenanigans that I get myself into, but to do cards too like <laughs> rachel was like what are you gonna do with all your magic cards i'm like i don't know yeah I, I ended up selling a lot of my magic cards uh except for like some key rares and my decks um i think that's one of the reasons i like deck builders yeah they give you because, everything you need and then yeah you're you're good it's it's just like a set game. So like if you buy the base expansion, the the base ascension game, I think it's I think it's like two hundred cards, something like that. Um, and since the actual creation of your deck is part of the gameplay, there's no you know sorting cards or building decks outside of the game. It's just all it it's just all brought in. Mm. Um, and there's no real card collection. You know, 
um, when I bought my first expansion for Ascension, it was because, you know, we were starting to learn some of the card combos that you can pull off and some things that were really good to have in a deck or, like, you know, uh, yeah, just, just certain, like, really great optimal deck builds. Um, so then you throw in an expansion, which adds another 200 cards. Um, and so now when you play Ascension with a expansion on it, there's now 400 cards to possibly build your deck from. You're not going to see all of them. In a game, you'll see a quarter of those cards, and you kind of just have to adapt and build your deck on the fly with what's available and kind of try the best you can. I, I, I occasionally have flashbacks playing Ascension of when I used to play Munchkin. When you would play those games of Munchkin where you just added every expansion into the game and you would just play Munchkin with 800 cards... Because you can do the same thing with Ascension. You can, you can just play a game with everything, every single expansion in it. And then you're just playing a deck builder with, you know, over, you know, 1,500 cards. That's weird, though. <laughs> thinking about it with, like, Munchkin. Because it's like, turn one, you pick up a sword. Turn two, you pick up, like, a lightsaber. And then you have to fight Cthulhu, who's also being ridden on, like, who's also in the chair of, like, the Enterprise. And I don't know what other <laughs> expansions they've done. But yeah, this is kind of weird to me. Yeah, I mean, I I just like I want to see it. So like, Ascension doesn't vary its its theme too too much. You know, you've you've kind of got that standard fan. Not I don't want to say standard, but it it has that fantasy world built around it. So it's not going to feel too different. I mean, there's certain expansions that kind of go hard in one direction. Um, like they have, I think it's called the Dreamborn expansion, um, which kind of brings in this new mechanic. It has a very kind of uh heavenly angelic kind of feel um or kind of like a a more fantastical feel to it yeah um and they also have other ones that that delve more where you you get much more you know a much more dark setting and really kind of evil creatures um so they explore the setting a bit more uh but it also it all still kind of plays seamlessly i just you know it's almost like the, the, the small inner completionist I have just wants to play a game with every card they have and just figure out how that could ever possibly work because you would never get enough cards for like each expansion's individual mechanic to really play out very well. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not sure if they meant for it, like meant for you to do that because each expansion, uh, it, you can also play standalone. So... For example, you don't need the Ascension base game. You could just go out and buy like the Dreamborn expansion and just play that. Um, it comes with all the cards you need. You know the the Dreamborn cards. You get uh, you know two hundred cards of that plus the base cards you need for the decks and all the mecha- the all the components. So you can also just kind of start wherever you want. Um, yeah, Ascension's great. I I love that game. I think it is great, and it's something that I just pull out every so often to play. So. Yeah, I remember uh, a while back at the, I think your mm-hmm. old apartment, you showed me Ascension one morning when we were just waiting for everybody to kind of start the day. And um, that's what ended up getting me to buy the Marvel deck builder, right, the legendary yes. one. Is because that Ascension kind of introduced the idea of deck building games to me. And I enjoyed it. I liked it. Yeah, I think, I think it's great. Yeah, that was, um, that's when I was still learning it. And I was very much on like the Ascension, like, high um where (laughs) like i played it all the time when i first got it um and just absolutely loved it i I think it's been a while since they've had an expansion come out and i'm not sure if it's kind of 
starting to peter off. Um, but it's it's one of those games that's staying in my collection, and I've been very happy with it. So, um, so outside of Ascension, the only thing I've really done this week that's worth talking about is I did finish watching. Excuse me, I finished watching Disenchantment. Which, yay, what? Nay. Yay, nay. Um, well, so, before I get into that, uh, if, if you haven't nay. been listening, Disenchantment is the new Netflix series by Matt Groening, um, who did uh, Simpsons and Futurama, and it's kind of his, kind of taking his comedy formula and applying it to a fantasy setting. Um, honestly, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, it oh, cool. does take a while to get started. Um, and it's a slow start, I would say, to the point where I, I I don't think I liked it for the first three episodes, maybe. Um, and then I th- I think it started to turn for me, and I really, I really, really enjoyed it by the end, um, to the point where I'm actually contemplating re-watching it, um, because I think now I would get more out of those first couple of episodes, now that I'm actually on board and I do really like the characters. Um, yeah, I definitely think it's worth a watch. All of the characters are really strange and have really intense quirks that at first make them kind of hard to like, which I think is part of the reason why I had so much trouble getting into it. Um, but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, I think it's, I think it's a great watch from, you know, you have Bean, who is the main character, who is basically a alcoholic princess who just kind of abuses the king's money. Um, and it's kind of in a weird power play situation to her personal devil, um, who's kind of just smart alky, tells her to do bad things and make wrong decisions. And then the high-pitched elf, who is just, I don't know, he's, he's battling with his inner realization that he's an incredibly boring person. Um... It's it's great, you know the the supporting characters pull a lot more weight in that show than I originally expected, and some of the supporting cast ends up being my favorite characters in the show. Um, yeah, it does a really good job. It's going, it's definitely going to be one of those shows that is going to tell a story and then end. Um, the The first season was released on Netflix, listed as part one, and by the end of you know, season one or part one of Disenchantment, you can definitely tell that this is a continuous story that is uh, at, at a point going to end. To the point where uh, the season one does end on, not I don't want to say a cliffhanger, because it is a satisfying ending, but it is definitely a, um, oh, okay, like, th- the conflict of season one was resolved, but this is still ongoing. Like, okay, now we're going to the next thing at the end of this season. Um, mm. So I'm, I am really excited to see where they're going to take the story. Um, and I also kind of want to know when the next part's coming out. I know sometimes Netflix can be right on it with the next season, especially when it's this style of show. Uh, and other times it can take forever. Uh, Netflix, if you're listening, I am still waiting for the next part of the Castlevania anime. I liked the first four episodes. I would like the rest of the season. Um, (laughs) 
Yeah, I was going to say, I, I got excited for that when I saw it pop up on Netflix one day, and I was like, oh, I'll binge the whole season, and I like got up early in the morning, and I walked out, and I turned on the TV, and I had all my like breakfast set up, and my blankets, and then I turned it on, and it ends, and I was like, oh, that's doesn't even carry me to breakfast. Yeah, when I watched the Castlevania anime, it, it, you, you very clearly got the feeling that Netflix was extremely unsure about this show. <laughs> That this was like, alright, I, I mean, we'll put some money behind it. I don't know if anyone's going to watch it, but maybe. Um, but I, I, I'd i like to see them do a Vampire Hunter D1 in that style. Just to kind of like bring that back. Oh, to that Netflix. would definitely be really cool too. Um, That's something I need to rewatch entirely. Vampire Hunter D? Yeah, it's been, I think last time I saw it was like oh, high yeah, school. That, that was also just a beautiful piece of animation. Um, not so much the original movie, uh, which is the same character, but a different story. It's not like a remake or anything. Um, I did like the second one. I did like the second yeah, one. Yeah, so did I. Um, it, it definitely kind of came into its own a bit more and, you know, had that really like dark gothic vampire hunter thing going on. Whereas the first one was just kind of an interesting character piece almost, I would say. Um, oh, but speaking of which, so Castlevania season two is coming October 26th this year um so that yeah oh, that might timing. be a, a little bit of a, a halloween binge unless of course it's just another four episodes i'm i'm not sure how many episodes we're gonna get um i'm hoping it's more because they were it was it was just wasn't it just it was four like 23 minute episodes or whatever yeah it was like three or four or something i remember it being like super short yeah I haven't seen it since it premiered um yeah i was i was really sad i kind of was hoping that they were gonna release the next couple episodes like maybe a month or two later once it was like a proven concept um but yeah well i mean i'm glad i'm glad it did well i'm glad it's coming back and i'm definitely really interested to see where castlevania goes as well um but yeah besides those two things that was that was kind of my week this week Uh, i just kind of had a lot going on um so with our weeks finished we can go ahead and jump on over to the news um so a couple of uh a couple of news items this week nothing too intense uh first up on the news uh i wanted to go into a little bit of uh games workshop games games workshops games workshop hmm i know there's supposed to be a plural there somewhere but it's not working out it sounds weird to say um, but Games Workshop's flood of releases. Um, for anyone who follows Games Workshop or doesn't really know who Games Workshop is, uh, Games Workshop is the uh, kind of British miniature company uh, that is responsible for the production of uh, Warhammer 40K, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, and the uh, Lord of the Rings Middle Earth uh, strategy battle game. Um, That's still going on. It is. It's been rebranded a couple times. Um, originally, it was a kind of uh skirmish style game then it was a large battle game then it was a the hobbit game um and now it's kind of just a general middle earth strategy battle game they actually um a part of this new story they just relaunched it um with a whole new a uh, whole new range um actually yeah oh i shouldn't say new range it's it's basically the new edition um, where they have a, a brand new box set um, 
that is, I think they're calling it the Charge of the Rohirrim, uh, which is essentially a new starter set that has all the characters and models and, and everything from the uh, final battle at uh, Minas Tirith. Um, so you're getting like a Nazgul figure. Um, you're you're getting like the armored trolls. You're getting like the I can't remember their name, but like the ghost knights um, that Aragorn convinces to to fight in the battle. Um, but yeah, it's still going. I know it's not their most popular product, but they're definitely putting putting some effort behind it uh, and getting a bit of resurgence. Um, so so that's Games Workshop in a nutshell. So the, the main reason of the news is that. Um, Recently, there was the uh, the Nova Open, um, which is kind of a very, very large uh, kind of wargaming convention uh, down in Arizona, I believe. I might be wrong, but I, I think it's Arizona. Arizona or Texas? Might be Texas. Um, and Games Workshop was there, and they were displaying tons and tons uh, of new products and just general new releases. And this hasn't been strange for Games Workshop in the past, I want to say, six months even. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea, uh, in the past, like, past six months and in the upcoming months, we have seen, um, so the new Lord of the Rings edition, um, we have seen, uh, the, the new tabletop board game by Games Workshop, uh, called Adeptus Titanicus, which is a board game where players are controlling basically units of giant kind of city-destroying titans, um, we are seeing uh, Kill Team, which is a skirmish-style tabletop game that's played on a board. Um, we have seen... Uh, let's see, I'm trying to think of, of everything that's been coming out. Um, so, yeah, we've had Kill Team. We have had uh, Necromunda, which is set in the Warhammer 40k universe, but is a um, kind of... Uh, it's almost like a... So it's another skirmish-style board game, but it is like gang fights... Uh, so essentially, the game takes place on one of the massively overpopulated hive planets in the Warhammer 40k universe, and you take on uh, the role of one of the gangs vying for control of, like, you know, the gutter of the city. Uh, and it's a very kind of RPG-style game where you have your gang, um, but you can upgrade them. You can, you know, you can buy new weapons. You can um, get them like augmentations after each match. Um, they get permanent, uh, they get permanent injuries, um, you can buy stuff for their kind of home base or hideout, which improves, improves how well they heal in between kind of gang fights, uh, changes their stat lines, they can level up, um, there's a whole crazy system, um, and they've been pushing a ton of support behind it, um, they actually recently just came out with another gang for it, so I think, let's see, cause there's, let's see, there's Escher, there's Goliath, there's Cawdor, um, who else is there? Um, yeah, I can't remember offhand, but there's, there's, I think, I think there's five, maybe even six gangs out for it right now. Um, and they're just constantly building on that. Um, so yeah, so we have Necromunda. We also have uh, Blood Bowl, which is a fantasy style kind of rugby football board game. Um, which has been seeing constantly new releases. We actually just recently got another Blood Bowl team, which is kind of the kind of rotting Chaos Warriors uh, Nurgle team. Um, before that, a couple months ago, I think we got a Dark Elf team. Um, just tons of support behind that. We also have Warhammer Age of Sigmar Shadespire, which is a, a kind of a competitive 
card-driven uh, combat game um, with with miniatures. Um, Warhammer Champions just came out, which is a both online and physical card game where you can buy decks and packs of cards and then using um, QR codes, you can scan the card and then you can play it online as well. And just, just it is... Utter insanity. Not to mention that Warhammer Age of Sigmar has seen two armies, two new armies released in the past six months and another one on the way. Um, they're just pumping out product. And as someone who is kind of tries to stay very with the Games Workshop hobby, like I can't even keep up at this point. There are so many games and armies I want to play and just I, I just can't. It's, it's too hard at this point. Um, and in some ways, I've almost... I've almost fallen behind where i just can't keep up with some of the release schedules um and i'm not you know i don't think it's a bad thing games workshop is doing incredibly well both from the community standpoint and financially um because they are a publicly traded company i think they're public traded i know their financials are public so they must be um and they've actually been doing incredibly well so yeah, so I know you guys you guys had a brief stint in Games Workshop. I don't know if you guys have any have any interest or kept up with this at all. Um, but I, I I just was taking a look at their recent release schedule and just was incredibly fascinated about how a single publisher um, in England is just really dominating the miniature scene at the moment. I'm just more afraid of the price tag for all of that. Um, not as bad as you think for some of them. Um, <laughs> I mean, any any of their boxed games, uh, like with Necromunda or Kill Team or Blood Bowl or any of those, um, you're going to pay pretty much a flat $100 for the two-player starter set with everything you need to play. Um, okay. And then beyond that... Like, if I go back looking to Necromunda um, and all of their new stuff, let's see, uh, Bach Games, looking at it live! Um, you know, Necromunda, the base set, which comes with the board, two gangs, some scenery, um, all of the cards, tokens, and, every, and dice, and everything you need is 125 And then additional gangs are $40 for what looks like about 10 models. Um, so not bad. Kind of, kind of standard what you expect from Games Workshop, I think, at this point. Um, Blood Bowl's about the same thing. You're going to be paying between 40 and $50 for a team of about 10 to 15 uh, and that includes, uh, their dice tokens and occasionally a special trophy for that team. Um, and what's great is all of these boxed games are coming out with, uh, specific terrain built for it. Um, so not only, you know, are you getting some cool terrain in the box sets that kind of enrich the scenery, um, but it's also terrain that you can use in the larger supported miniature games. So you're now getting all of these really cool kind of dark industrial uh, terrain sets that you can use in Warhammer 40k, or in uh, Warhammer Age of Sigmar, you're getting some really cool kind of holy ruins um, and stuff like that that you can use in uh, Age of Sigmar from... Uh, you know, kind of their skirmish game. Um, not so much Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl's kind of its own thing. Um, I'm not. You're not really going to see Blood Bowl teams coming over into Age of Sigmar. 
because um, that's kind of like a it's kind of like an alternate universe where instead of um, the Warhammer armies fighting for control of the world and you know just killing each other, they decided to settle all of their differences through Blood Bowl, which is it, it's it's a fun it's a fun little little tweak. Uh, to the game, um, but like for example, Shade Spire. Shade Spire. I've been really looking into getting into, um, just because it's a much more. I don't want to say it's more balanced than Age of Sigmar, but it's an incredibly tight ship, uh, and allowed some interesting uh, kind of customization with building your own deck, uh, which gives your models different actions they can take, uh, and different special abilities. So you can kind of tailor and build them differently, um, and then those kind of teams that you have in uh uh the, the words i just said uh shadespire uh work as kind of like legendary units in the larger age of sigmar game uh so there's a cool little tie in there as well um but yeah so that's kind of what i want to talk about with games workshop just a ton of releases coming from them uh just really interesting to kind of just watch them kind of have this second golden age of warhammer yeah i haven't stayed too up on it since my falling out of love with age of sigmar um kind of evaporated all the remaining competition i had left in my body <laughs> i feel like if they made more non-competitive which i know that's like their that that is pretty their much thing, um i'd be more apt to check out more of their stuff because it's cool, and I really want to like it more. Um, but I just don't have the the desire to be that competitive anymore after I'm still licking my wounds from the quarterstaff. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, we could always get into uh, Warhammer Quest. With, uh, That'd be down uh, for Because they have two different games. They have uh, Shadows Over Hammer Hall, which is a, uh, a GM-run game. So it's... Um, I guess you could consider it in the same vein as, like, Descent or Imperial Assault. Um, it's a lot like that, except there's a there's more... Um, I would say there's there are... Well, no, I guess about the same role-playing elements um, with buying equipment and leveling up your character um, and kind of pick, you know, picking and choosing quests and, and going on adventures. So it's very similar in that vein. Um, and then they also have the Warhammer Quest Silver Tower, which is a hundred percent co-op um and plays more like a like a roguelike adventure where each time you go into it your the, the layout changes and what you face changes um and it's just kind of like a fun kind of kick the door in dungeon crawl game yeah that one to be more yeah to play. so they have, they have a little bit of that I, i've often looked at silver tower um Maybe looked at Hammerhall a little bit more since there there just seems to be a little bit more meat on it. Although I do prefer pure co-op games to uh, kind of Dungeon Master or Game Master run games. Um, but they're both very interesting and they both allow for the introduction of extra minis. So even though like Silver Tower comes with its set uh, characters and kind of creatures to fight, um, it has rules for every miniature that Games Workshop makes for Age of Sigmar. Um, so, you know, if you're playing Silver Tower and one of the people who play Silver Tower happens to have, like, a Night Haunt army, which is basically an army of ghosts, you could just throw those models in as part of, you know, the enemies to fight, and they have rules to support it. So you can just mix it up even in that small way, just adding new things you can fight against. 
Um, so yeah, so that that's that's Games Workshop. Uh, so next up on the news, so this is this is an interesting revisit to a previous topic. Um, <laughs> so the Oscars introduced um, the category of most popular movie, uh, and the Oscars cancels the the category of most popular movie. So a a, a quick little rescind on what we thought was a extremely ridiculous uh category for them to add uh tim did you want to go into that a little bit no? i don't <laughs> all um, right we just leave it there all right moving on I, I just i just remember we talked about it and i saw it and i was like oh huh i remember when we mentioned i don't know how this is going to be a thing that it's like oh the whole point of the academy is they're part of the academy and they vote within the academy so why have like a Fan favorite film. Okay, well, don't we have like the People's Choice Awards or all these other things that are specifically catered to that? So, yeah, it makes sense. They canceled it. I'm still going to watch it this year just because I'm a sucker and I always watch it. But The Academy Award for Best Picture has a lot more weight behind it than MTV Movie Awards Best Kiss. <laughs> you know? <laughs> or Kids' Choice Awards. Like, holy shit, that's that's Denzel Washington, you know, Oscar nominee and, and winner. And we're like, oh, look, there's Kirsten Dunst. She won that. She won that. What was that award, guys? Like, oh, crap, that's Best Kisser right there. <laughs> like, I don't I don't really hear those conversations. Yeah. I just want to see, like, one of those la- more laughable award shows, like the Kids' Choice Awards, all of a sudden just have, like, one movie that shouldn't be there on their lineup. It's like, oh, and it goes to... Guillermo del Toro for The Shape of Water? I'm always kind of surprised sometimes by some of the actors and directors who do show up for the Kids' Choice Awards. And I'm like, really? (laughs) Hey, I feel like if I ever got out there and did something like that and they're like, oh, yeah, you're nominated, I would show up. Yeah, but, like, for example, like, let's say you are, um, I can't even remember his name, uh, who directed, like, um... Well, let's say Marvel Infinity War, right? Um, mm-hmm. So Marvel Infinity War probably will get nominated for an Oscar for Best uh, Special Effects. Uh, if nothing else, mm. it'll get a nomination for that. Um, and let's... Sound, yeah, design, sound design. That's probably. true. They, those kinds of movies which, you know, are, aren't the, 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 uh, the Academy's style usually just get in for that. Um, or even something... I'm trying to think of something that... Or, yeah, I'm trying to think of something that could get into the Kids' Choice Awards, which would also be, like, an actual contender for, like, things in the Oscars. Um, but, like, you know, for example, if... Yeah. I, I get, like, you know, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe you're right that, you know, if you got nominated at the Kids' Choice Awards, that's your award show. Like, that's the one you're going to because that's the kind of movie you made. Well, I feel like even if it wasn't necessarily what you were going for i would still just show up or still go to it just because it's like i feel like it'd be fun yes i feel like i would you'd have to put on an act though because it's like oh you were nominated by kids and yay now i gotta go up be on stage and be kid friendly and oh man i love the kids i don't know i i just feel like when i was growing up I feel like it would have been super cool if it was, oh, send in your letter to Nickelodeon on who are voting for, for this, and if they actually showed mm-hmm. up there. So I figure if I ever 
ended up doing anything and I got invited, I would just go. It's what, one day out of my week to be able to be like, yeah, all of them probably thought that was yeah. super cool. I, I, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like, oh, like for example, like, okay, uh, Lord of the Rings Two Towers comes out, right? And let's say Viggo Mortensen wi- like wins an Oscar for Best Supporting Actor. I know he didn't, but let's say he did. And then Kids' Choice Awards is like, oh man, Best Actor, Viggo Mortensen. I'm like, really? Now I gotta go to this? <laughs> I mean, it's like all the actors that decide to go to the Razzies or whatever to collect their award. It's like, it's just being a good sport. <laughs> yeah, I guess, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. Um, but, yeah, so looking at the, the, the recent article about the retraction of the most popular movie, um, so I guess it was a a almost unanimous decision by the Academy to repeal this decision of having the category. Um, I guess there was just some, I guess, discontent within the Academy about how they were, I guess the talks were that they have been giving out Oscars to so many independent movies lately that they were saying it started to feel like they should just host the Oscars in a tent because the Oscar (laughs) award ceremony isn't for anyone anymore. Um... Well, then we have indie Oscars and then have your Hollywood Oscars. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I, that's why we have the MTV Movie Awards, right? Because we're just the most popular films. I mean, maybe maybe we yeah. shouldn't highly televise the Oscars quite as much. I mean, people don't really seem to care anymore. Yeah, yeah I still watch it. Well, you like movies a lot more than the average Joe. I do. Not in a bad way, but just you you are its target audience. That's true. I mean every everyone Whereas, everyone <clears throat> has their like their like their thing that they are super into. I mean, yeah, like I yeah. was never super into the Oscars a lot of times because I just you know, I don't see enough movies to really feel like I have some kind of connection to it or I feel informed enough. Um Yeah, and then there's a few other people I've met where like, Hey, have you seen this movie? And I just list off something that's grossly popular enough that even if you don't watch movies people have seen and they're like no and it's just not their thing like well all right i don't know what to talk with you about anymore so yeah <laughs> i remember uh back when i started my job i was traveling with uh, a co-worker and i was making small talk and i'm like oh so um do you like watch any movies or do you have any favorites no <laughs> do you watch any shows no not really and i'm like you you don't watch movies or shit like what do you do <laughs> like you you don't you're not into sports you don't have hobbies you don't watch movies you don't do that so unless you're just super into music i have no idea what you do Maybe when you he get just, home i imagine they just like sit in the corner stare at it and then wait to go to bed like i don't know Maybe what he just has a really awkward hobby that he's like incredibly invested into like Bum fights. <laughs> Bum fights. Oh god. <laughs> that's Tim. That's not embarrassing. To, that's not embarrassing now. to be into. That's illegal. Like that is that is a crime <laughs> against humanity. <laughs> I was gonna say like you wouldn't be embarrassed about illegal. <laughs> I, I was things. gonna say like he collects apples. Like <laughs> oh, I mean <laughs> spores. Yeah, and I was. I, it's like I wouldn't tell people I collected apples if if that was my hobby. Um, <laughs> But bum fights, that's that's just not that's not something you talk about because it's wrong. So I never found out. They quit. 
Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. <laughs> I guess there was nothing that inter- interesting to find out. I mean, maybe there was. Maybe there was something really, like, deep down. Maybe he was, like, just a like, hardcore D&D player who was just really kind of closeted about it. The world may never know. As it is, we've given more thought to this Academy Awards popular Oscar than the Academy Awards has. That, you're probably right. It was probably like, hey, do we want to do this popular category anymore? We're getting a lot of flack for it. And there's like, no. It's like, it was just it was just Jim. He wanted to do it. Yeah, it was probably one of those like intern things that they just got in. They want to shake things up. And it's like, well, if nobody complains, you can do it. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Uh, all right. So, on from the retraction of the news item, which I guess kind of like just <laughs> negates the previous week's new news item about that existing. Um, yeah, do you fun. just go back in and edit I guess I just have to go one. to that episode and just delete that part of the news. Well, no, it, <clears throat> it's just follow. That's true. That's it, is, it is follow. Yeah. We are doing real journalism here, and we we're we're yeah. reporting on the the corrections and and everything. So. Maybe they listen to our podcast and they, they oh crap, they don't like it. See, turn, turn see, it, off, it could off. be. We don't know. I mean, we know because we can track these things, but but we don't know. <laughs> Schrodinger's Oscars. <laughs> we did and didn't affect this outcome. Um, so next up, uh, so some interesting action from Disney in kind of the, the board game industry. Um, so recently... Um, I think uh, it's maybe like maybe a while ago, maybe three or four months ago, uh, Disney released, and when I say Disney released, I mean Disney licensed out and helped publish a game in association with Wonder Forge uh, called uh, Disney Villainous, um, and it is one of the first kind of hobby level board games that Disney has ever kind of put their hands into. Um, now to give you kind of a, a brief synopsis, uh, Disney Villainous is a how do I say this? But so it's a hobby level strategy game where each player takes on the role of one of the kind of iconic Disney villains. So like uh, Malefic- Maleficent, Ursula, Jafar, uh, the Queen of Hearts, Prince John, Captain Hook. Um, I'd say so on and so forth, but I just named them all. Um, and essentially each one kind of has their own victory condition and you're going through the game trying to get your objective completed while kind of trying to stop other people's and kind of vie for control in this board game. Um, it's gotten huge reception. It's done really, really well. Um, and now I'm not sure if it's now on the coattails of that or if this is Disney's larger plan, um, but they have now also announced that they're coming out with Disney's uh, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves game. Um, oh, and just as a follow-up, so Vilnius has a 7.5 rating on Board Game Geek for anyone who is interested or keeps track of those kinds of things. Um, so now we're seeing Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, a gemstone mining game. Um, so this one is, again, another hobby-level strategy game. It is for three to seven players, because it has to go to seven, because it's the seven dwarves. Um, and it is a resource management kind of pick-up-and-deliver mining game, uh, kind of based on the foundation of uh, the game Quartz, if anyone's familiar with Quartz, which is the dwarf kind of mining game. Um, so we're now starting to see Disney kind of really jump into board games, um, 
now seeing a a really huge company with tons and tons of licenses at their disposal uh, take a go back to the board game industry and see it as more than just the classic mass market uh, publicity uh, scheme that we see so often when companies like Disney pair up with uh, Hasbro. Um, and I'm curious to see, or even to, to talk to you guys about, do you think that this is something we might see more often? Do you think this is Disney acknowledging board games again, or just a a another publicity stunt, but this time going after hobby gamers? Disney's getting too dangerous. They must stop. <laughs> what, you, you, you're saying that, what, owning LucasArts, Fox, Marvel, and now getting into board games is, is too much? Yeah, it's uh, they're getting up there. There is <clears throat> I don't remember the movie, but um, oh, I think it was the Meg actually that just recently came out. Did you know? I think I'm I have to double check, but I um, after watching any movie, I'll go on IMDb check out the trivia for it. Disney bought it. Wait, and actually tried to make they bought it for the a Meg. While. Like yes, the Jason Statham Megalodon giant monster movie. Yes. Before it was like before the one that just oh. came out, like leading up to it, they initially had intention of making it, and after a while, it just didn't work. And I think the writer was getting pissed because, you know, his project wasn't making any ground movement and yada yada. But the Meg was actually like they have their hands in a lot more pots than you realize, and it's almost scary when you see how much Disney has involvement with even the weirdest, most abstract things that you would not think of to have with Disney. Because I know they would... Tim, do they own Touchstone Pictures, too? Who, Disney? Yeah. Uh, I don't know for sure. Because I know they also have like another popular um, movie company where they'll slide in their movies in there that are not child-friendly, that they don't want their actual name attached to. Yeah, because I think they have... Yeah, I'm pretty sure they do have um, Touchstone. But I was thinking of their other one that is their other, like, main side project. Mm. Yeah, so them getting into board games, I'm not honestly too surprised. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. I was very surprised uh, to see this. And what's even more interesting is that all... I I don't know if this is going to be the plan forever... Um, but so far, both Villainous and the Snow White game, which uh, isn't released yet, um, and I'm not sure if we actually have a solid release date, um, are going to be Target exclusives. Um, so we're seeing an interesting kind of uh, syncing up there between these two, uh, you know, you know the, the giant Disney um, and major retailers. So while these aren't mass market games in the traditional sense, which is kind of those kind of effortless roll and moves move random games. Um they are, you know, kind of hitting more major retailers for for large distribution. Um but you know these these are games that are are popping up on you know our radar um you know as kind of hobby level board gamers. Um and they're they're making real impact. I mean villainous is from what I've seen, is a great game, and I'm extremely excited to try and get my hands on it. Um, and Snow White, you know, while there isn't a ton of information yet, it's only recently been shown. Um, but being based on the game Quartz, which is a fantastic kind of pick-up-and-move resource collection game, um, as well as having a little bit of, like, you know, betting and wagering to it, 
um, is sounds really interesting, and I don't think I mind kind of the the change with the intellectual property on this, especially if you know USAopoly, who is publishing this, is going to be you know upgrading some components quality, especially since it has the extra money behind it. Um, so I'm curious to see what happens. I don't know if this means we're going to start seeing like more Star Wars boards games outside of Imperial Assault. I mean, that would require them pulling their license from Fantasy Flight Games, who kind of does it ex- does those exclusively right now. But it wouldn't be surprising if Disney is now kind of going out on their own uh, and getting this stuff made. Um, I don't know, Nick. Would What would you think if you suddenly saw Fantasy Flight lose Imperial Assault and a, a new kind of version came out that was Disney's Star Wars Imperial Assault? Well, <clears throat> Disney knows and oversees the development for the Fantasy Flight properties. So if they were to go off and do their own thing, I'd be concerned. Only because Imperial Assault Fantasy Flight Games did a decent enough job, I think, with uh, how they produced and made the game. With all its faults and all the negative things that we say when it comes to Fantasy Flight, we do enjoy them. It's, like I said last time, it's like an older brother kind of thing. Like, you love them, you hate them at the same time, but we do buy and play and like them. But Disney, um, sorry, there was a pause in the audio. But when it comes to Disney, I don't, they don't do miniature war games. They don't do any kind of tabletop stuff. So I'd be more concerned with them getting it done right. And I think Disney's too big and um, too smart to let something like that fail. And that they're not going to invest money into something unless they know they're going to get a good product. Like all the Marvel movies, take them from what they are. Yes, not all of them have been successful. Sma- no, I, let me rephrase. Not all of them have been amazing to the same quality of one another, but they've all been successful hits. Every single one of them. Like, was Guardians 2 as good as Guardians 1? Subjective, but it still made a ton of money. Same thing with all the Thors, all the Captain Americas, Iron Mans. Like, no one likes Iron Man 2 or 3 as much as they did 1, but they still made 3 of them. Yeah, well, I mean, if the Mandarin was actually a decent villain, I think we all would have liked 3 a whole lot better. Yeah. But, yeah, it's true. Disney doesn't do anything half-assed, you know? They spent, what, Mm -hmm. $3 billion on Star Wars? And they are making their money back in spades. Like... We we may not like the movies very much, but they're making money, and the shows are making money, and the toys are making money. Like, they know what they're doing. Um, so, them now foraying into board games? I'm, you know, I'm curious. I'm curious to see what they're going to be doing. Um, especially since they do own so many properties now, and so many licenses, um, to just see where that kind of stuff goes. So... I will be interested to follow up on that, and I'm sure we'll be seeing more and more games um, with Disney kind of at the uh, at the helm. Pretty much. Uh, so next up, uh, another bit of board gaming news. So we talked about this briefly a couple episodes ago, um, but now officially the Horizon Zero Dawn board game is live on Kickstarter. Um, for anyone who doesn't remember or didn't listen to that podcast episode, Horizon Zero Dawn is, of course, kind of... I don't want to say smash hit video game because 
it kind of kind of got drowned out a little bit by uh, the Zelda game, uh, the Zelda open world game, which whose name is escaping me. Um, with Breath of, yes, Breath of the Wild, uh, kind of got drowned out a little bit by Breath yeah. of the Wild, just because it you know it's another massive open world game that appeared at the same time, and obviously Zelda is a much beloved intellectual property. Um, but it was still a hugely popular game. It's kind of a monster hunting game, except all the monsters are kind of giant mechanical creatures. Um, and so the company that put out the Dark Souls board game, the Resident Evil 2 board game, um, are now uh, putting up the Kickstarter for Horizon Zero Dawn. Um, as of recording time, uh, their let's see what their goal was was just over two hundred and two thousand um, dollars. They are now uh, let's see, just over a million dollars pledged. Um, looks like they're at a million thirty thousand at the moment. Um, so obviously going to fund. Um, it's amazing these days how often you see these million dollar plus Kickstarter projects happen. Um, but I think, I mean, the game looks interesting. It, it's not quite my style, um, but it is a, you know, it is true, true to the game, uh, the video game, where it is a monster hunting game where player, individual players get contracts essentially to hunt certain creatures, uh, and then they have to explore the world through playing, uh, through, uh, kind of revealing tiles uh, which are the different locations, which then you know reveal kind of the, the different monsters in the game. Uh, they can get better equipment and different upgrades. Uh, I think there's a little bit of crafting in there as well. Um, and then they basically have to complete their contracts and uh, basically be the, the best hunter uh, by the end of the game. Um, it looks interesting. You, the, the, you know, the miniatures are gorgeous. Um, Steamforge games... I'm, you know, I'm never concerned with their miniature quality after seeing the Dark Souls board game. Um, so you're getting a ton of different miniatures. Um, that That's mainly the, the meat of the entire game, is the miniatures. Uh, looking over the game, it looks like there's, I don't know, maybe 40, 40 to 50 miniatures come into the game. Um, and the game itself is $100. So that's pretty fair, all things considered. Uh, it looks like they're going with an estimated delivery date of wow uh march 2020 so gonna be a bit of a wait on this one if you do back it um but if you're a fan of steamforge games um you know you you know what kind of quality you can expect they've put out enough games at this point where you can kind of uh judge um where where their kind of gameplay is going to be and even some of their combat style looking at their their action cards it does remind me quite a bit of the dark souls game with a bit more of kind of ai movement planning uh done um this is one of those kickstarter games where there are a bunch of optional additions that you can have on it so while the base game is a hundred dollars you can add extra creatures um like for example they have the frozen wilds expansion which includes uh, kind of two very large-sized monsters, two medium-sized monsters, and then kind of two small hunter characters. Um, they have the Thunderjaw expansion, which is basically a giant T-Rex that you can add for $45. Um, the Rockbreaker expansion, which is kind of like this subterranean worm creature for like $38. Uh, and kind of goes on from there with another like five or six expansions for it. Um, 
So, Nick, I know you don't have a ton of experience back in Kickstarters, but with your kind of play of the Dark Souls game, is this something that interests you at all? No? No. I don't like that. I didn't, I didn't like the game. Okay. So. And actually, when you were talking and saying how it wasn't coming out for another, like, two years, I also thought, like, you know, public interest wanes really quick. <clears throat> like, the game already came out last year. It, it, if it's going to take basically three years to make a board game, are people going to still care at that point? Yeah, that's kind of a tough period. I mean, anytime you're going over a year out, um, it's kind of hard to keep the excitement going. Um, yeah, I mean, really. from a marketing perspective, they're kind of going to have to do almost like a set it and forget it approach where they'll get the Kickstarter funded. They'll send out notices to the pledgers. And then the six months before it comes out, they are just going to have to bombard people with, Hey, remember us, um, just to get people thinking about this game. And I really think, I think this is even a longer time than it took them with the dark souls game. I don't think it had nearly a two-year production or year-and-a-half production schedule for it. Um, You know what? They could be... um, Is there a sequel planned? um, Not that I'm aware of. I mean, they have kind of these built-in expansions for it. No, I meant meant the game itself, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, that... um, I don't know, actually, if there's anything planned for that. Yeah, they're currently hiring staff to work on it. Yeah, they probably have a 2020 release date. Oh, to coincide with the game and release. Doing that. Oh, yeah. that's that's a good point. Yeah, that would definitely drive more sales for them. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, that's that's probably super intentional. Because, yeah, I was going to say, year and a half. That seems really far out there. For a game that doesn't seem overly complicated for production outside of, you know, miniatures. But miniatures are getting pretty easy to produce these days. Yeah, and looking at the game itself, and even when you were describing it, that it's going to be like taking contracts and then hunting down different creatures and whatnot, and you have all the different hunt, like the four mm-hmm. hunters out on the board. I really feel like instead of doing a Horizon Zero Dawn game, they should have just tried to get the Monster Hunter property and then just done Monster Hunter because that makes perfect sense with the Monster Hunter kind of idea and the game itself. Whereas Horizon Zero Dawn. It was more storyline than it was like taking monster hunting mm-hmm. contracts. They're just kind of cramming the idea into the Horizon Zero Dawn world. Oh, I see. So the the actual like going after the monsters wasn't much of the the narrative of the game. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I understand that in this kind of board game, they have to kind of focus in on a primary piece, especially since the hunting is, is also kind of the, the, the most profitable way to go, honestly, just from the miniature standpoint. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it, it looks interesting. I think it looks more interesting than the Dark Souls game, personally. Um, but I, I mean, I have no background in Horizon Zero Dawn. I didn't really look much into that game when it came out, just because it wasn't really my thing. Um, I mean, this looks interesting. Uh, it's $100, so really, really reasonable. Um, but you know, if it's getting a full retail release, I might just wait until that point um, before, you know, making any real investment into it. Oh, and actually, it's not, I'm sorry, it's not $100. That's 100 euro. Um, oh, so 130, $130. Still, that's, yeah, that's, that's not terrible. Um, 
But yeah, so yeah, if you're interested in the Horizon, Zon, uh, Horizon Zero Dawn board game, uh, it is on Kickstarter right now. They are well past their goal. Um, as I was looking at their page, they actually just got another six hundred dollars in, pre- in pledges. Um, I would say that's oh, oh that was me. that was you. You went you got, went and got six copies. Yeah, I bought. <laughs> yeah, you got one for each of us, and then some more people. <laughs> Early Christmas. Just gonna throw them from the flights while I'm uh, traveling. Right. Like, Tim, week. while you're at it, if you want to pick up a couple copies of Gloomhaven. Um. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Totally. I, I. I'd say I totally be down, but I'm not. I keep debating, like, if I want Gloomhaven or not, because the concept is incredibly interesting, and from what I seem, what I what I've seen, the game seems kind of up my alley, especially since it's pure co-op. It's got some more Euro style mechanics, so it's not quite as like one to one. Um. Like dungeon crawler, like oh, how do I swing my sword? Oh, just roll dice. There's there's a bit more to it than that, um, and it's kind of like a never ending campaign world building game. Um, but then every time I see it at the store, which is not often because the creator hates friendly local game stores for some reason, um, I'm always torn because I'm just like, eh, it's only a hundred and thirty dollars, but like, am I gonna play it? Am I? <laughs> I don't know. It's it's tough. So, when I went to um, Battlegrounds the other day, I almost bought it. They didn't have it, but it came to mind. Like, oh, let me pick this up. Depending on the price tag and all that, but that's the problem. Like uh, certain games, yeah, I'd want to play it, but I don't have the people to play it with. And yeah, we're all available to play, but that's or rather, we all want to play it, but we don't have the availability. Yeah, and I mean, it. you can play it solo, and I've heard it actually plays really well solo. Um, I mean, personally, I don't really like solo board games. I struggle playing them. Um, maybe I just haven't found the right one, but I've always kind of found it difficult. But, yeah, that's the problem. You need... Well, so I'd say you need a dedicated group, but apparently Gloomhaven does have a like easy drop-in, drop-out system. Um, so while there is kind of like a campaign, like it's, it's an ongoing campaign, you don't ever have to play with the same people or same characters. Oh. Yeah, so apparently that that can make it a little bit easier to get games in, especially with something that's that huge. Um, but I don't know. One of these days, I'm probably going to buy it, and then and then we'll see what what happens. Um, so next up, uh, so Wizards of the Coast, um, aka Hasbro, I think it's yeah Hasbro owns them, uh, is putting out a new Dungeons and Dragons card game. Um, so this was just. Just, 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 just announced. Um, so there isn't a ton of information uh, going on about this. There's actually almost no information going on about this. Uh, Tim, have you seen have you seen much about this yet? I know we we've seen the announcement, but uh, I don't know if you had any any more info on this. Uh, no. So for the most part, it's. They just announced that it's going to be released starting in November on November 16th. Um, what they're looking to do is, I know a lot of their kind of their interviews and everything, they say they're doing it as kind of a way to get people into Dungeons and Dragons. But it doesn't, um, from what at least they describe, it doesn't sound like it's actually going to follow any sort of mechanics to D&D. Um, so realistically, if it's, oh, well, I'll do this and then get somebody into Dungeons and Dragons... It doesn't sound like that's the gateway 
Um, this sounds more like an actual competitive card game, more along the lines of, say, like Magic or the old WoW card game prior mm-hmm. to Hearthstone. Um, so essentially, it's supposed to be like super fast to learn, but it's a deck fighting game. Oh, um, so it's up to two to four people. Everybody's going to play as different D&D classes, and then you end up having a deck based around that class. So you'll have all of your, like your paladin and all of your paladin abilities. You'll have a rogue with all the rogue abilities. And then it's pretty much everybody kind of duking it out. Um, and then whoever is the winner supposedly gets all the treasure and whatnot um, is kind of the um, storyline they're going with for the game. But the art style that they released so far is kind of fun. It's a bit cartoony. It reminds me of something that you'd see on something like uh, Steven Universe or yeah, something along yeah. those lines. Um, but it seems kind of fun uh, from what they've described so far. And looking at the card kind of promotions uh, pictures that they've released, it looks like it's very basic in terms of... Um, it looks like it just has like attack symbols, energy symbols, shield symbols... Um, so I'm assuming that it looks like it's going to be a very uh, simplified user interface or like a very simplified kind of setup to them. Um, so I'm going to kind of keep track of it just to see how it goes or just if it is something fun to just spend 15 bucks, pick up a deck, and then just have something as kind of like a quick, fast-paced thing to just be able to play in between stuff or take with me and teach to people that might not necessarily want to get into anything too intensive. Um, seems yeah, kind of cool, it, but right now not a whole lot. Um, yeah, it seems like it's just going to be a really light, like like you said, it's just fifteen dollars to pick up for a two to four player game. It's probably going to it plays what well, they're saying in like fifteen minutes. So just something really quick, easy to just kind of throw down a little bit of a filler game. Um, yeah, I see what you mean about it not really introducing people to D and D since it doesn't really have a strong connection. This just might be one of those moves where they're trying to just throw the D&D name out there just so people kind of remember that Dungeons & Dragons is a thing. Uh, Kind of like... Yeah, unless they're talking about really not being into things and it's like, this is to introduce you to what is a paladin? What is a rogue? I mean, even that could be... I mean, I remember not, not too long ago they came out with another very, very light card game, uh, Rock, Paper, Wizard. If you're happen to be familiar with that, um, which is a wizard dueling game where you're basically playing on a uh, kind of a singular track, and kind of your goal is to kill the other person, and you can kind of push them back on the track and kind of corner them. Um, but you're basically doing that by playing rocks, paper, scissors. Um, but you have different hand motions you can do, which represent the different spells in your hand of cards. Um. I haven't played it. It looks really intriguing. Um, and actually, I was at Barnes & Noble, I think, last week. And I saw it was on the shelf. And it was one of those games where I was really intrigued by it when it was announced, but lost track of it. Um, might be something I have to revisit, though, because it's, uh, it's it's just kind of a fun concept. But it looks like that this Dungeon Mayhem game may be another kind of thing like that. Um, and certainly in November, I would like, I'd like to take a look at it just because anything with the Dungeons and Dragons name, I'm kind of interested in. Um, so that is it for this week's news. So moving on, we are doing a topic this week. I know we're never consistent with doing topics, but we're doing a topic this week. So don't complain (laughs) about not having a topic or complain about having a topic because we don't do it often. We don't do it not often. So, nah. 
Yeah, here's more content for free. <laughs> more stuff so. for free times. Um, so this week we are going to have a topic. What topic are we going to have? Oh, um, so we talked a couple weeks ago. This is actually a topic we've been putting off a little bit. Um, when we originally brought up the Resident Evil 2 remake um, and some, you know, this is really going back to our episode, Nostalgia is Too Expensive. Um where we were talking about all these remakes and things that were going on. Uh, so like Resident Evil 2, we now have the uh, the announcement of uh, Henry Cavill as uh, Geralt in the Witcher Netflix series. Um, I thought we, we'd do just kind of a little roundtable and talk about uh, any properties that we hold dear. Um, probably not Star Wars for Nick anymore. Or maybe? Not sure. Um that we would like to either be remade or kind of go cross uh, cross medium and either turn, be turned into a show or be turned into a game um, or kind of any one of those situations. Uh, does anyone already have an idea where they would like to go first? And we can kind of talk about this. Nick, you biting? Nope. Okay. <laughs> um, <so as> far- <laughs> I was just like, nope, nobody? All right, episode over. We're done. Uh, I want to... It was originally his topic, so I wanted to give him first right to refusal. Um, yeah, I mean, as far as like um, properties that I've loved over the years that I would like to see either get like remade, remastered, or, or like turned into a show or something like that. Um, I know for ages, um, kind of two of my favorite ones were Breakdown and Phantom Dust, both on the original Xbox. Um, and then, I mean, I guess going farther back when we were talking about like Quest for Glory the other week or. Um, something like mm. Chrono Trigger. But as far as the first two that come to mind, it would be Breakdown and Phantom Dust. If you are unfamiliar with Breakdown, it was for the original Xbox back in like 2004. Uh, it was a first-person action game where pretty much you end up um, kind of getting injected with something as part of like a research facility, um, and you end up getting slowly unlocking like special powers and whatnot where you can like do energy things and like move quickly and whatnot but the thing that was cool is a lot of the the first person combat and whatnot was if you you can control like where you block and where you throw punches and everything or kicks and whatnot so it's not just running through and just mowing guys down like in a shooter game um you're still going to be using guns and whatnot but then also you're going to be able to have those hand-to-hand fights with some of the other kind of genetically altered guys. Um, and I just always remember, because like the last fight with the main boss in the game is an actual just like slugfest that goes on for like 20 minutes of he'll throw a, a blast, you'll dodge, you'll throw a kick, he'll block, you throw a punch, he'll block. And it actually feels like combat rather than just kind of soak up damage until it finally falls down. So I always felt like that one... Pretty much it. I know, don't remember a whole lot of you know, um, like publicity about it back when it came out. It was just something that popped up, and then I haven't heard much about it since. And I've never heard anything about like a remaster, anything about a like a remake or a sequel. So I've always really kind of hoped that would be something that would pop up one of these days. Yeah, um, it was. I remember when you showed it to me the first time when I came over your house, and you were just like, "Oh, look at this game! It's super cool!" And I'd never heard of it. And I mean, it's funny. The Xbox and PlayStation Two era was one of was one of those console generations where we had so many just like weird kind of experimental games that just tried things which didn't always work. But like sometimes you get like a really weird 
unheard of gem. Uh, same thing with the unfortunately short-lived Dreamcast, um, where there were so many just weird little games that came out for these systems um, that just kind of get got lost for a long time. Um, but it's so funny when now when you're talking about breakdown and I'm thinking about it, um, that combat system reminds me of a lot of the later released um, PC game Chivalry um, in terms of the combat system. Um, now, I know you weren't a huge fan of, of Chivalry. Because, I mean, it was, it was janky at times, and it's a really heavy competitive game with just really large matches and kind of instant deaths when you're, you're hit. Um, but Chivalry was a medieval combat game uh, done in first person, where it was kind of a basic combat style where you had, you know, you had vertical attacks, horizontal attacks, and stabs. And, you know, you had to twitch reaction, perform parries and blocks with your shields. Uh, it had a really, really steep learning curve to it. But it kind of reminds me of that, where you can kind of aim your strikes and, you know, with, you know, breakdown like chivalry, like if you... You know, you aim a punch in a certain direction, the parry has to go in that direction to actually meet the attack. Um, so it's just one of those cool systems and weird little things that we don't really see. And I'm not sure if it just wasn't well received or what, but I mean, even I would be interested in, you know, seeing something new come from that system, even if it's not breakdown again. Yeah, because it was originally, it was done by Namco that um, they did Tekken, correct? Uh, Namco, yes. I believe. So, I mean, like, it, that's probably why they ended up having that kind of fighting system introduced, is only because they have that fighting background anyway. Um, so they know their audience enjoys it. But yeah, I've always hoped that that one would end up getting a like some sort of release. I know um, my brother actually let me know that they added backwards compatibility for it because originally you, it was you can play it on the 360 because of the backwards compatibility. But I guess starting this past April, they allow you to now play Breakdown on the Xbox One. It's no like it's not upgraded or updated or anything. It's just the strict original one now, but you can still play that one off of there so i mean it's not like i don't have the option of playing it but it's still would be cool to be able to get a uh an updated version to it yeah i i totally get that and yeah even seeing that system come back i would be really interested yeah um just because there really was so much potential there yeah and as far as like aside from that one like as far as when you mentioned like hidden gems Phantom Dust ended up becoming probably my favorite game of all time, um, even though I didn't even know anything about it. I didn't know, like, I didn't go out and buy it. Just It was one of those games back in, like, again, I think it was also 2004, but my dad just randomly came home one day um, and was like, oh, hey, I found this at the store. It looks kind of interesting. You might like it. And he just gave me the copy of Phantom Dust, and I ended up playing it. And for anybody that doesn't know it, um, so Phantom Dust is you wake up in kind of this post-apocalypse future with no memory. It's you and another guy. And the entire world is covered. Um, like, they live underground because the uh, above ground is covered in this dust that when you're up there for a while, you end up forgetting who you are. You lose your memories and whatnot, and you can get lost up there. So everybody lives underground now. There's all these, like, creatures and robots and things that live up above ground. So pretty much the whole game is you venturing out above ground to learn more and like go on missions and everything as you're kind of getting your memories back. 
Um, but the combat style is done by pretty much building a deck um, of abilities. So you have like your defensive, your offensive, your support, and whatnot. So when you go into levels, it'll start off in your starting zone. There's going to be three, pretty much like three card draws, so like three energy orbs with abilities. And you'll add those onto your arsenal and just kind of use them. Some are reusable, some are one-time use. So pretty much like every so often they'll draw the next one from it. So you'll kind of take your three starting ones, go out to fight guys, and then keep running back to add on new abilities, swap out abilities, and then continue doing your fight until you complete your objectives. So it's kind of a really interesting combat system that got added in. Um, they have a lot of stuff that's like your if you want to go melee, do you want to go long range, mid range, do you want to just do strictly kind of like support things? Um, so it was really interesting, and I really liked the style of it. It felt very um, that odd kind of retro or, or like lo-fi um, future. So everything was very um, kind of gritty to it. But I always thought that that would be cool to either if they got it as a remake or it would be cool if they ended up doing it as a series um, along the lines of something like a like a Cowboy Bebop type deal. Um, just that kind of jazzy, fun, futuristic type thing, except this one would be a little bit more um, sour or kind of a little bit more uh, bland in terms of color schemes and whatnot, only because everything was very post-apocalypse. Uh, I know they ended up having Phantom Dust get announced when the Xbox One pretty much came out that they were working on yeah, a new one that. and it was yeah. going to be released. And I was super excited about that. And they had it in like Game Informer and they released all these, the commercial and all the photos and everything from it. And then they just decided, oh, yeah, we're canning the game. We're not going to release it, um, which was a bother. But then they announced, like, hey, as a we're sorry. Um, we're going to end up re-releasing Phantom Dust for free to everybody who has Xbox Live. So now it's just you can go on and you can just download it and play it. It's not like the a remaster, I don't believe. I think it's just the original one. Or it might be like an HD remaster. Um, but nothing's like added or anything. But it's it's just nice to have available now on the Xbox One as a download for free rather than having to go break out my disc or anything like that. But I don't know if you guys ever ended up either playing it or playing it when you were at my house back in the day. Um, okay. No, you you downloaded it and you let me play it. But in this day and age, unless I was kind of there, I didn't really have any interest in it. Yeah, I don't think I really got a chance to play it outside of just kind, kind of seeing it. Uh, unfortunately, I was not an Xbox kid, uh, so I did not have access to it. Well... Um, if you're ever looking to play For Honor and Phantom Dust, then go knock on my brother's door and uh, have him talk about an hour on early release Space Engineers <laughs> while you play both of those. Well, I'm sorry. It's just it's an older, dated game. It's like me trying to sell Resident Evil 1 and 2 to you. You just do, don't like them. Oh, I was hassling Dave. I know. Well, I didn't like it either. <laughs> yeah, seeing as Dave hasn't actually had a chance to play it. That's true. That's yeah. I haven't really. I think I think maybe you showed it to me at some point, but I can't. I honestly can't remember. Yeah. Um. Okay, Nick. Did have you had time to think? Is there anything you would like to see? Re. 
Yeah, you know, actually, it's it's funny because behind the scenes, I made about like two or three different mm-hmm. topics for us to talk about if we ever ran low on time, and I didn't think of anything for any of them for my own responses. <sighs> Come on, Nicholas. <laughs> <laughs> Like, oh, this is a really good topic. Like, I'm proud of the, the at least two of them that uh, I wrote, but I didn't think of anything to speak for it. But actually, no, I thought of something because I was trying to think, like, what games that are old that I actually really enjoy playing that <clears throat> are already, like, super heavy into, like, a well-known IP. And um, I actually thought of um, X-Wing and TIE oh, Fighter and those yeah. types of games. I would like to see a resurgence of either those games or even a show based on it. And I know a lot of people can agree with like the X-Wing novel series that they were so well done. If we can't get a movie out of it, why don't you make a TV show? And I think yeah, that really. really I mean, in general, the battle flight sim genre has totally died off. Mm-hmm. And I don't want a new version of it. Like, give me the whole thing as hard as it used to be because I feel the challenge in modern games nowadays are just not there. Yeah, I don't I don't remember I don't remember the difficulty of X-Wing outside of being a small child and not really quite understanding it or grasping the idea of it and what I had to do. Mm. Uh, especially since flight sims were a little bit more complicated, but yeah, flight sims are totally like a dead genre outside of like the hardcore like commercial aircraft flight simulators. Mm-hmm. And even then, those are still pretty um, like arcadey, mm-hmm. and there's not much stuff that you need to do. Like, I want to have to do like micromanaging inside the cockpit while I'm trying to fly and shoot. Right, stuff I remember down. for a while there was a couple, you know, not Star Wars IP, but there was a couple of battle flight sims. I'm trying to remember the names of them. That were getting a lot of attention. Um, I remember, like Crimson Skies was one. Freelancer was another one. And I've been wanting to install and play them. Just I haven't. I've been busy. Um, but even there's one that's really getting to me that I can't think of. Uh, uh, it might have to might have to come back up later. Oh, Star Citizen, I think. Is that what I'm thinking? Oh yeah. Um, which it's. Yeah, I, was say, like, I feel like I remember hearing about that a long time ago. Didn't that ever come out? Nope. I, I did buy it, so I can play it whenever I want. And um, I played it, I think, five or, five or eight months ago. I, I don't remember. And it's uh, not much has changed. They added some stuff. Maybe I'm just doing it wrong. I don't know. Like, send me an email. Tell me how I'm supposed to play this thing. But, like, I walk around. There's, like... It looks like you're on Coruscant, like the inner city. There's just like a bunch of like, it, it just looks like futuristic city like levels. And then like you can go to a bar, you can go to like the hangar where your ships are going to be. But there's no like interaction with any other NPCs yet. And even if I did go into like just the, the space portion and just like hangar space and fly and you could do all the stuff, there's no real tutorial. There's no it's so heavy into development that it's not even like, well, you just need to figure out, figure it out like you're like on your own, like the older games. It's, I don't think it's been written yet. Yeah. I was just, I just went on their website. And so they're still super active. Like they literally have a, a convention just for star citizen. Uh, and there's one coming up in October. Uh, so they're definitely, they're definitely still around and doing stuff. Um, I almost wonder if, 
Should I almost wonder go? if it's kind of like that um, that pirate game that everyone was going crazy about, where it's all just user generated content. Oh, see, yeah, Thieves. where like I tried it out, Sea of Thieves, and got bored very quickly because I didn't understand what there was to do, only to realize that you know you have to basically join someone else's game because otherwise you're just going into a game with no one, and all of the the game is just other players. Um, yeah, they finally did updates to it that they added like roaming AI pirate ships mm-hmm. and other events yeah, and just, whatnot. So I, I think yeah. they realized that. I just remembered how much hype the game got, and then it launched, and I was just like, "Oh, I don't know." That's actually one topic that I've been trying to think of how to properly write. And with a game that doesn't have a clear-cut ending to it, like WoW or any MMO or even like Sea of Thieves, like how long does it take you to realize you're just doing the same thing over and over again? Like in WoW, what's the whole point? To get better gear. Why? So you could do the harder dungeons. Why? So you could get better gear. Oh, that is, that is a conversation. I remember having that same conversation about playing Diablo 2. Yeah, and then it's just <laughs> you you get so far it's like why am I so doing God, we do this? we're going to do like, Diablo yeah, runs on hard till 40, then we'll do bell runs till 60, then we'll do Diablo runs till 70 on on nightmare. I was like why am I doing this? Yeah. Do faster, yeah, do faster bell, bell, runs. bell runs on nightmare. Um and that's that's actually how exactly how I felt with Sea of Thieves that just that fun of playing was quickly diminished when I realized why am I doing hats. this? To get so hats, can, Nick. That's true. I didn't. I didn't get. I mean, sin- did you get? Did you I, get? I a hat? played it for a half hour and couldn't find anything to do. Oh well. <laughs> yeah, because the only the only upgrades in that game are cosmetic, so you can get like a cooler gun or a cooler looking sword or hat or a cool outfit. So that's why you do it. You do it to be the coolest looking pirate you can. Yeah. Um. But for me, in terms of things, I would like to see come back. So, luckily, one of the things that I've wanted to see come back is coming back, um, which was actually just announced yesterday. Um, We are seeing... So, SNK just announced yesterday that they are bringing back Samurai Showdown. Um, So, we are getting a brand new Samurai Showdown fighting game. Um, If people aren't in the know, Samurai Showdown was a very... Well... I don't want to say long-running, there's there's only been a couple, um, but since its initial launch in 1993, has been kind of an off-and-again, on-again uh, fighting game series by SNK. Um, and it, its characters have crossed over into a lot of like the Capcom vs. SNK games. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, and even just some kind of weird kind of uh, guest stars in some other uh, smaller fighting games. Um, but yeah, so between Samurai Showdown, Samurai Showdown 2, uh, there was, yeah, actually there's, I'm trying to think of the last one we had, which looks like it was Samurai Showdown 5, oh no, Samurai Showdown 6 back in 2005 on the PS2. Uh, and since then, the game has been essentially completely silent. Uh, and now we're finally getting a new Samurai Showdown game. There is a new trailer of it showing off some some cool stuff and, and some little mechanics with like weapon clashes. 
Um, and I am incredibly excited for the new Samurai Showdown. Um, I'm a huge fan of fighting games, even though I don't always stick with them the longest. I still enjoy them for kind of short periods of time. Um, but I love Samurai Showdown from playing them back on Neo Geo arcade machines. And I'm very excited to see that. Um, the other thing that isn't coming back, but might come back, I don't know, but based on Games Workshop's crazy schedule of pumping stuff out, I would really love to see the game Mordheim City of the Damned come back. Um, Mordheim was kind of a tactical RPG uh, designed by Alessio Cavatori, who's no longer with Games Workshop. I think he's on his own, actually. Um, and, yeah, you would kind of... You would build a band of fighters, uh, and you would take them in to explore the city of Mordheim, where you would fight over uh, items called warp crystals, uh, which were kind of these items of immense power that you could use to power war machines or use to cast magic. They're incredibly powerful. And you would have your, your gang of warriors from various factions within the Warhammer universe. And, you know, you would fight and you'd win, uh, you could find loot, you would get permanent injuries, um, you would level your character, you would be able to hire mercenaries into your band, um, and, like, the rules were all super in-depth to the point of, like, rivaling, like, Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition uh, in terms of how expansive the combat system was. Uh, Where, like, for full example, they had full rules for, like, pushing characters off of, like, bridges or, like, knocking, uh, you know, like, pieces of rubble on top of them. Um, like, really, like, like really, really in-depth, like, near role-playing game combat. Um, and, you know, we... It came out in, I think, 1993? Uh, I think it, it might have been 93, 95, maybe. Um... And, you know, we've seen the Warhammer Age of Sigmar, Sigmar skirmish game, uh, and, you know, Shadespire, which some people might argue is similar, but doesn't have any of the role-playing elements or nearly the depth of, uh, kind of combat. Um, but that's something I'd like to see. Uh, I'd love to see Mordheim come back. I know it came out as a PC game that wasn't very good. Um, maybe bring it back as a, a good video game or, you know, bring it back as a board game again. I'd love to see Mordheim come back. So that's, those are those are my choices anyway. Um, I don't think anyone has any real experience with either one of those, so I'm sorry. <laughs> I uh, remember playing Mordheim briefly, and that one I couldn't get too into myself, but it was cool. And every so often, I'll end up seeing it pop back up on Steam, and I'll be, I'll end up starting to purchase it again. Then I remember, oh, I already bought this once. And then sent it back. Yeah, I really wish it was better. So, it, yeah. So the the trailer gets me every time, and the gameplay makes me think, "Oh, yeah, this is definitely up my alley." Until I remember, "Oh, I did this once, and it wasn't up my alley." Yeah. I, although in general, I think I think you sometimes struggle with the 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 tabletop games made like hundred percent digital, where like it looks yeah. more like a more actiony game and ends up like just being like true to rules tabletop game yeah because originally like when i looked at it i thought it was going to be like i granted yeah it looked like it was going to be you choose your units and whatnot and still do turn-based but i didn't realize that it was going to be that like strict in terms of turn-based 
um, that everything was going to be hit percentages and miss and then are you going to be on high ground, low ground, yada yada, all that other stuff from there. Um, so same thing with like the my issues with like Total War um, that it ends up being a lot more involved than I originally thought um, when I'm just looking for something that's more just like an RTS type deal. Um, in yeah, that I case. mean, to Mornheim's credit, it is a incredibly faithful recreation of the tabletop game. Um, yeah. But that also makes it extremely hard to get in, invested into <laughs> because it is. It's just a yeah. digital version of tabletop. The same thing with the Blood Bowl games. Um, that's, yeah, yeah, which that's are another one. gorgeous games uh, and are true recreations of the board game. Um, but again it's hard to get into because it really is it it is a digital board game uh right down to the dice rolls um which you know blood bowl makes very evident by like literally showing you the dice and having you click on them to roll when realistically all i really want out of it is give me madden with fantasy teams that i can get rpg skills on exactly um you may not uh, want Madden. You might want more like Blitz. Because I'd imagine the Ogre would do really well at just face planting and pile driving a guy as he tries oh, to man. I would, Actually, yeah. Exactly I would love that. to see a Chaos Warriors team in Blitz. That would be amazing. Just giant, like full plate mail, like Norse Warriors, like just going at it. Yeah, I miss Blitz. <laughs> oh. We used to play that we, all the time. We did. We had an ongoing day. score sheet. Yeah. I you, did. You well, won. I was winning, I should say. Yeah. <laughs> Another time. We'll, Probably we'll, still we'll are. To, we'll have to redo that. We'll have to, we'll have to bring it back. Uh, all righty. So that was, yeah. uh, that was the topic this week. So I think, I think that's going to wrap it up for us. What, what, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah. Did, yeah, I think I'm probably going to go break out, break down in Phantom Dust oh after man. this. I, I, I'm in a weird situation where I literally have the Steam store up with Mordheim out. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> they, had some, they had some DLC, too. It's kind of cool. They've released, you know, they got, they've got the... the um, I don't want to say Sisters of Battle, that's Warhammer 40k, but like the Witch Hunters and Skaven and Chaos and the Empire. Man, if they released a Bretonian team, I would, I would, all I would do is talk about this game. Free people. For the lady. lady, Indeed. Oh, that's what we need to bring back. Come on, Games Workshop, bring back Bretonia. Please, do it for me. (laughs) Oh. Start a Kickstarter. There's been Kickstarters. There's tons of third-party companies who make the models, but I want them officially recognized. I want a rule book. Come on. All right. Well, I think that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode of The Scream Lords. This is episode five. Um, So if you are looking to get in contact with us or uh, keep up to date on other stuff that is going on with us, uh, you can go to our website at thescreamingbrain.com. Uh, we are also on Instagram at the Screaming Brain, on Twitter at One Screaming Brain, and on Facebook at uh, the Screaming Brain Games. 
Um, unfortunately, the screaming brand is in high contention, so we have to vary things up. Um, also, if you want us to send an email to us at the podcast, ask us you know any questions, comments, whatever your feedback is, you can email us at podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. That's podcast at thescreamingbrain.com. Um, we are also uh, on Twitch. Uh, we are streaming three days a week. We are on uh, Sunday, Tuesday, and Thursday at 9 p.m., uh, where we will be playing board games live for your viewing enjoyment. Uh, Timothy, if people wanted to get in contact with you, how would they do that? On Instagram, you can find me at Mr. Time, M I S T E R, or on Twitter at Mr. Time 0080. Uh, and Nick, if anyone wanted to reach you directly, how would they do that? You can find me on Instagram at ZarNicholas1. Awesome. So, without further ado, that is Scream Lords Episode 5. I hope you enjoyed listening. And if you did enjoy listening, uh, please make sure to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts uh, to help others find and listen to the show. Um, Every review helps. So, thank you so much for that. Uh, So, thank you. I hope you enjoyed listening. And uh, good night, everyone. See you all next week. Good night, everyone.